Oh, not much. How are you doing? Doing all right. Are you standing and talking to me? Uh, yeah. Oh. I have one of those desks that goes up and down. Oh, yeah. Do you, were you already working from home before this? Yeah, yeah. Actually, let me crank up volume. What do you do? Um, I do IT, um, like networks and stuff, and I did a lot of work from home before this. For some reason, I thought you were in like accounting or something. Uh, no, yeah, no, my sister's in accounting. Okay. I don't know, you seem to know, be knowledgeable of financial shit. Well, I did basically take like, I mean, I pretty much took like business school classes and then ended yeah. up doing this, so. I mean, I have an associate's in accounting and a bachelor's in business and communication. Uh, most of the communication was like marketing and like journalism type classes with a minor in political science that I accidentally got. But um, I, I forgot a lot of it that I don't use. But yeah, this, this podcast has absolutely no um, format whatsoever. So we're just, we're just having a chat about whatever, man, like whatever. Um, so let's see. You, you, there was like a Facebook post. We started to like talk about some financial stuff, like me supporting the complete collapse of our economy. And you were like, but there was just too much to text to go back and forth. But like, I don't like as someone who's poor, who I've always been poor um, and all my friends are poor and we would take care of each other. How bad would a complete financial collapse of the country really affect me? I think I hate this point that like sometimes they make, I'm like, crappy cable news about how like even if you're poor in America you're rich by global standards or rich by historical standards but it's a little bit true in that it can get a lot worse like you have clean water <laughs> you know like th that kind of a thing like it could really get a lot worse but than it is I'm about to build a bus I got, I'm, I'm going to buy a small bus and build it out to be self-sufficient and I have the ability and knowledge to collect rainwater and clean it sufficiently for most of my needs. Um, or, you know, yeah, we have the ability to do that. Um, to take water from streams that isn't, that aren't too polluted and use it and, and all sorts of stuff. I mean, there's, there's ways to do that now. So I'm not, I, I, I think I can, we don't need nearly as much water as we use. Um, I lived in my SUV for six months. I did have a Planet Fitness membership and showered there a lot, but I didn't always. I lived out at the lake for like a month. I, you know what I mean? I, I, I've lived without running water and fine. And I've also lived without electricity just fine uh, for extended periods of time as a child when I was poor. So, um, I, I know I can do it. I mean, and without much discomfort. 
I think that there's a scale to that though, like that that's limited. Like it's kind of like, um, you know, technically cities seem really bad for the environment, but a big city dweller actually uses less resources per capita than someone who lives in, in a rural area. Yeah. I just think that I could, I know that I could sustain me and cause it wouldn't be forever. I can sustain me and the people I care about. I think through us coming together and uh, pooling our resources that aren't financial, like uh, land and our abilities to grow food on our own and our abilities to filter our own water. And I think that I could easily in a, on a small scale, like my family, my children, my mother, the people that I really, really truly care about, I could, I could, we could weather the storm. Um, and that it would, it wouldn't be fun or ideal, but I personally would find it, uh, worth the sacrifice to take all the money away from the rich people and make them poor. I think the issue with that is that you're not really guaranteed to, to do that necessarily. I think it's more like the idea that you're, the idea that they're going to suffer as much as you or more, it doesn't really bear out when, when collapses have happened in the past. Yeah. They'll suffer. They'll feel like they're suffering though. You know what I mean? More than I am because I know how to survive without money and they don't. Um, they're not, I'm talking about like a complete collapse, like nothing we've ever seen before. I think that there's a lot of people that would probably, uh, you know, sure, like, I don't hunt. I've never hunted in my life. I don't want to butcher my own meat. I like buying it at the store. I can grow things. I don't really want to that much. Yeah. I know um, people that can hunt and provide me the meat, though. And I can trade them vegetables for it. And I can trade them things that I'm able to do for them for it. Um, if they're not just part of the community and giving it to us. So, I mean, I have family and my uncle can hunt and dress a deer and do all that stuff. Um, I'm, I imagine that, that, uh, I could learn how to do it. And, uh, I would say that the issue though, is that if everybody hunted, there definitely wouldn't be enough meat to go around very quickly. And like, we live without meat. That's why I was telling my friend Lynette, she tries to act like we can't, but there are millions of people probably that are vegetarians and vegan that billions if you count India. Yeah, that that can and do thrive without meat products. So we can live without meat. Will it will people people enjoy their meat? But I'm talking yeah, like it's not impossible. I'm not saying it's gonna be comfortable or it's gonna be fun necessarily. It will be for some people that are prepared for this shit. But I think that I can completely I feel like I have the resources within my community for us to come together and take care of each other. And so um, I don't think that there's those resources at the higher levels of income because they have those higher levels of income a lot of times because they're me, 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 me. And they're going to want to hoard their stuff. They're not going to want to share it with each other. You know what I mean? And so I think that, I think that, 
I know I, I think that I and my community, my, my close knit community would be okay. And we, we'd weather it. And I would, I think that the only way we're going to make anything better in this country is if the systems we have in place now do completely and utterly just get destroyed and collapse. And maybe that's the only chance we have to rebuild anything better. It may be rebuilt and be the same, but the I, mean, least. I, I kind of, I, I have to disagree with that just because I find that like, you know, not as a perjurative, but like, let's call this kind of a radical politics kind of thing. Yeah. And the radicals on the left and the right often sort of root for a bigger disaster because they think it'll get them the policy changes that they want. Yeah. Um, what I, I really have my doubts that if you're a radical on the far right and, and you, you know, explicitly advocate, you know, violence against people you don't like, you know, take what you want, kill the weak, that kind of thing. Uh, that kind of collapse maybe maybe beneficial to your politics uh i don't think if you're kind of a leftist or a communitarian or an anarchist or something that that situation is actually going to mo be better for your political preferences because in disasters people don't become more communitarian they become more selfish they close their circle of compassion like you're saying yeah my family and my immediate friends and a couple people that i know that can you know hunt or fish or farm or whatever will be all right but there's going to be like a lot of people who aren't all right and they're going to come and get your stuff and some of them you know the people that you know the people that are more accustomed to violence are going to go and take what they want and the people that are often the victims of violence in modern civilization are going to be even more the victims of violence without it. Yeah. So you're saying I have to have armed guards and rich people can buy them. Even in a shitty civilization collapse, they will well, here's probably retain their security. Here's my plan for that. Okay. I'm really good at blowjobs. And so I just want to find some like leftist radical dudes um, that are all about peace, love and community up until the point that someone's trying to attack us and take away our peace, love and community. And you know, the, you know, the types, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, just, just give them really good blowjobs so they'll protect me. I think I better get better at giving blowjobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe instead of learning how to dress me and I better just, you know, give better head. I don't know. Well, <laughs> Cause I've been thinking about like what, what in a, in a post-apocalyptic world, what do I have to offer for my life to have value to the community? You know, um, I don't garden. I, I'm good at organizing resources though. And, you know, getting people that have resources together. So like managing things, I'm good at that. But like on a smaller scale, like I don't, I'm not a, I don't know how to shoot a gun. I can't physically protect us. I can't grow food. I'm not good at any of those things. Um, I'm not, I don't really like to cook or clean or, or do anything. Um, I'm real good at like taking care of children. I could watch the children. Um, I'm useless taking care of children. I, um, if it was a D and D skill, I'd have like negative supervision. Like they're actually worse in my presence oh. than they would be all by themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at taking care of kids so I could do that. 
but I wouldn't want that to be relegated to a babysitter. That sounds like pure hell. Um, so yeah, like, like Jason, what's your value in a post-apocalyptic world? What can you do to uh, have value well, in a community? I have some minimal uh, electronic skills, so there's no electricity, so it doesn't. Well, matter. there's there is some. Let's call it solar power. Call it minimal batteries, okay. whatever. Yeah. Trust me, people aren't going to give up electricity that easily. No. Um, I have some minimal skills with that. Uh, you think you if they need a computer for something, panels? I can still do that. Uh, wireless okay. communications, that kind of thing. Can you help install solar panels? Do you think? I can certainly figure it out. Yeah, I think I can figure it out. So I'm pretty sure you could figure it out. Um, on that note, I will need some help with installing solar panels. I think I have it figured it out, but I don't, I've never done anything like that. So I would not want it to be, I definitely know how to install them and get the wires into the bus and do all that. But as far as like hooking up the network, I mean, I've looked at the diagrams of hooking up the network that it would take and um, my concern is I just don't know how many, how much solar, how many panels I need to run the things that I'm going to have, what's batteries, how many batteries, size of batteries, and then connecting it all in a way that's safe and not going to, you know, cause. Do, do you think I have enough time before this happens to like cash in my 401k, spend it on like hookers and blow? I think you should cash in your 401k and buy an RV or something and make it sustainable to survive in off the grid. I just bought and an then... electric car and then all, I bought an electric car. I, I, I signed up for wind power on my electric bill. I compost. I did all this. I really cut my carbon footprint down this year. And then all you people had to went, go and quit capitalism just to one up me. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> My carbon footprint has always has been way down for sure over the last year because I was just living in my SUV and not really consuming a lot of electricity or water. Um, and I'm a quick Are you back in Colorado or are you stuck? Are you back in a, where were you in Kansas? I am, I am in Denver now. Uh, oh, okay. I was in Kansas for like two weeks and um, if it was just me and my friend Lynette, I totally could have handled it. But uh, her son, he's 25. He's not a bad person, but he's just a bum and disrespectful to his mother who provides everything for him still, even before the apocalypse. Um, and so I can't handle, if he was just a bum and was nice to her, it wouldn't bother me, but the disrespect and the entitlement he has pisses me off. And it's not a generational thing. It's specifically him and how his brain and partially how he was raised. I mean, there's a lot of factors that made him the way he was, and he uses them as an excuse to be a piece of shit instead of, you know, rising above them and being a productive human anyway, because I know people that have been through some way worse shit than he was, and they're still productive human beings and don't use it as an excuse to be an asshole. So, um, but part of it is she needs to cut the apron strings. So, uh, yeah, I just couldn't handle him. He was annoying. I have to say one of my one of my skill sets and I and I really don't hope for the apocalypse because I don't really like this aspect of myself, but I have to say I am something of a uh, of a survivor type personality where I, I won't have if if it comes down to me and you, I won't have that much compunction about stabbing you in the back. And I it's a terrible aspect of my personality that I don't want the situation to encourage. Well, 
eventually those people get stabbed in the back too by somebody, a bigger shark. So, you know. I don't do it recreationally like, you know, assholes do, but like, I'm just like, I can divorce myself from the ethical dilemma, you know, if it comes, um, if it's, if it's a matter of survival. For me, I can divorce myself from the idea if it's a matter of somebody not deserving my loyalty anymore, but um, I don't have a problem with, but I usually just use my words and I wouldn't say I stab him in the back because stabbing in the back is more like a see like a like you sneak up on them kind of thing whereas i would just shoot them right in the forehead you know well you could shoot people in the back in fact it's the safest way i know but i would want if it was somebody i truly wanted to kill i would want them to see it coming and i would want to see their face <laughs> i've uh there's i'm really good with dogs actually that's my skill set yeah, I I am a dog person. In fact, I don't. I think my problem with living in like your little like survivalist commune would just be living in tight quarters with other human beings on a resource limited basis. I think I'd really lose my mind. Well, like everybody had their own little van or RV or something they were living in, and they all had their own little systems in it. They had a they had a they had a way to collect water for their household and they had solar panels for their household um it would be about what resources outside of that for the community they can offer and you're gonna you're gonna what be a dog walker the dogs are just gonna be free man they don't need to be watched i mean dogs actually i mean i would i could probably figure out how to train the dogs to do something useful that that would be my thinking yeah i could feed them you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of dog people, dude. The supply and demand on that. I know, that's why they, they, the dog people, they just don't get paid that much, but they do a really important work. I have to say, there's a lot of them, though. There's a lot of good people that are good with dogs. Well, it's kind of like, it's crazy, like, when you think about it, like, a, like a veterinarian goes to just about the same amount of school as a, med- as a medical doctor for human beings, and they make so much less money because it's like, well, yeah, you get to hang out with dogs all day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and if a dog's too bad, we'll just put it down and not spend the money. We don't do that with humans. Not yet. Sometimes we should. <laughs> I think that's kind of what our what our federal government has basically decided is they're just not. It's too much effort to uh, to do this the right way. Yeah. No. Um, nobody. Our society as a whole doesn't really care about something until it affects them, um, and then they care. When like uh, crack and drugs, heroin, they didn't really care about heroin until uh, kids in the suburbs started overdosing. And then it was like, oh. Oh, yeah. It's like what happened with um, like back in like the 90s, you know, with, with crack, they were like, they created this whole myth about like crack babies, even though cocaine overall wasn't as bad for an infant as, as uh, heroin is. And they would call them crack babies and all this stuff. And they, this whole mythology around them came up. And then when the opiate crisis hit, mostly like white rural America, instead they call it uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome. Yeah. It sounds like an immaculate conception for a heroin addicted baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's uh of course there's a the whole conspiracy that the government pumped crack into the ghettos to 
uh, or at least allowed the spread of it, didn't attempt to stop the spread of it because they wanted them to stay drug addicted and poor so they would stop fighting for their civil rights um, and also could demonize them as criminals. Uh, so, you know, I, like how did crack start? Who decided, who, who first figured out that you could cook it and smoke it? You know, like, where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know the history of cocaine and crack, but, uh, I think they were just cutting it with things and they realized that they could, you know, whatever it is, baking soda, baking powder. I don't know how to make crack. I, I don't think that's a useful skill. Do you think, do you think like having more skills like that would be useful? Like people are going to really want their drugs, aren't they? They are. I think that having the skill to, um, make a drug would be, would be something, but you, then you got to think about if you're talking about crack and meth and Coke and stuff, the kind of people that are going to be your clients and the uh, danger risk that you're going to bring upon yourself, having those, having the drugs and stuff, talk about people wanting to come kill you and take what you have. Um, you know, so you have safety issues there. Uh, for sure. So I mean, we're going to need like a, we're going to need like an area with some greenhouses that also has a distillery that's also defensible. Is that? I think that more people just need to learn to make their own crack. You know, we just need to teach classes on crack making and they can make their own crack. I mean, I, I've been, I've been growing uh, culinary mushrooms as a little like house experiment. Uh, since I, since this happened, I ordered the little kit it's actually easier than most plants I've tried to grow. No, I grew magic mushrooms <coughs> um, in Wichita with the intention of at least just selling them to like my friends and like the comedy community, like people I know. Um, but but um, I would always have to test them to make sure they were good, you know, before I'd sell them and then we just eat them all. Um, but I didn't really grow them on like a mass scale or anything, but I'm definitely going to grow some shrooms in my bus. Um, all you have to do is not sell them. If you're just growing them for personal use, no matter what city you're in, you just label them not for human consumption and say it's a science experiment because it's not illegal to grow them. It's illegal to sell them. So. And, you know, and I mean, being against capitalism, selling them would just be totally out of the question anyways. Yeah. No, I mean, I would trade them for, for marijuana or something or some other drug I don't have. They are very easy to grow and marijuana is not. Hemp is easy to grow, but actual mar good marijuana is not easy. It takes a lot of attention and care and knowledge and, and fucking lights and, and, and oh, it, I tried... Me and my ex were growing some plants in our attic space once in Wichita. And then there was a hell storm. We, the the uh, roof had to be replaced and it was ripped down to nothing so they could see into the attic space. And we had to move the plants and it fucked them up moving them. And uh, yeah, because they basically they have sex and that's how you make hemp. You don't want the plants to have sex because the... The female plants, the THC is what they grow when they don't get to fuck, mm. essentially, from what I remember. <laughs> Definitely going to need to raid. I guess what, if we're, we, we got no electricity, so we're going to need 
going to need to go raid the library a little bit for some, you know, how-to books on I certain already things. Solar power is easy, dude. I already know how to do it. And then, uh, well, I mean, but you might want to have the, the botany books, you know, how to grow certain crops, that kind of stuff. Because without all the, you know, fertilizer and all the other, without like a supply chain of all that stuff, you're going to have to basically get back to what you could do here without a support system. We can make a fertilizer out of our own poop. You just get a composting toilets. And that's what, that's what I'm going to do in my bus. I'm going to have a composting toilet. I don't know. Maybe I'd be good with sheep. Sheep poop is probably good. (laughs) I guess Colorado isn't the worst place to end up in the apocalypse. Like a lot of sunshine. It gets cold, but not crazy cold. Well, there's a lot of people here that know how to live resourcefully. I think, I think there's a good network of people here that know how to live with, you know, do the solar panel and you know, and all that and the wind energy and solar energy. Um, you know, I've seen plans on how to build a small wind turbine for yourself. Um, so it's completely possible. I mean, there's people in there's, there's, you know, there's kids in Africa figuring out how to make clean water for their communities. So I think we can do it with our resources here for sure. Um, and then just conserving water. I just, that's the thing is like people just, you don't need that much water to live um, as far as like cleaning yourself and stuff. Do you ever listen to those NASA podcasts? No. That sounds- Some of them are really good. Just like the ones about like, like, ex- like all the things that you need to do to like survive in a closed system are really kind of fascinating. Like yeah. just how much like, like, you know, as soon as you try to build a closed system with a human being in it, it's like some of the little chemicals that we emit get toxic after a while, not just like carbon dioxide, but just like uh, formaldehyde and stuff. Like all of it has to get filtered out. And even like your, you know, your exhalation, you know, your, um, the water vapor that you breathe out, you know, accumulates if you don't do something with it. So it's just, I don't think I want to go to Mars. I'm not from the sound of it. Space travel sounds really awful. I've been watching uh, the documentary series, The Universe, on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I've seen some of that, yeah. Yeah, which at first I was worried that it would make me more anxious about things. But The Universe, there's all these things that seem chaotic and destructive to us as humans, but it's all part of its bigger plan to you know grow and that's how it has evolved and become who it was by destruction and regrowth and destruction and regrowth and the cycles of destruction and regrowth and that's how the universe has has formed that's how it's survived that's how it continues to survive and form so um it's all this chaos but at the same time it's like it's got a purpose to it. And so if I get taken out by a solar flare, there's nothing I can do about that. You know I mean? There's no way to protect ourselves from everything. You know, oddly enough, the so a solar flare might be one of the things that would cause a, it wouldn't kill everybody. It would just cause a breakdown in civilization because it could, a bad one could take out all the satellites. And I mean, you know, I have a, I have actually have a good compass. That was one of the things I got earlier yeah. in the year for uh well i wanted it for um cross-country skiing and like so i could go out in the woods a little bit and just like 
I wanted to get back to like knowing how to use a map and a compass like I used to know how. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I know that um what was I gonna say? I think my edible's kicking in. Um yeah, I think that well I grew up in a time where we didn't have like most of my childhood we didn't even have a telephone because we were poor. We didn't have a telephone. Um and uh, a few years, it was because I ran it up calling 900 numbers to hear uh, stories from a pirate when I was 10 and left home alone, uh, you know, latchkey kid. And uh, they advertised it on TV in between cartoons and stuff. And they'd be like, get your parents permission. But uh. Nobody did. So I ran our bill up and they couldn't pay it. And so we just didn't have a phone for many years because of that. But yeah, there was a lot of years when we didn't have a telephone. We were fine. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have um, any of those things. Um, and we, our society used to survive without them. Uh, Though I think even without a lot of that stuff, it's like, it's like, I was sometimes when people say like, oh yeah, you know, we didn't have phones. We didn't have all these things. I'm like, yeah, but life was a little shorter and a little bit more brutally too. So it wasn't always like, I feel like there's so much nostalgia for simpler times and I'm not, I've never been like real. Uh, our, 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 uh, expected life, our life expectancy is going down every year as it is with all this technology and all this innovation because we're sitting on our asses, stuffing our face with crap that's being sold to us on television. And, um, and, and our life expectancy is going down. We're getting fatter. We're getting unhealthier. And um, there's medical science can't keep up with the damage we're doing to our own bodies by sitting and being, yeah, and just shoving food in our faces that has got no nutritional value um, and just fattens us up. And so I think that it's starting to turn the other way to where all this technology is going to be like uh, – Wally, you seen the movie Wally? I haven't seen Wally. Okay, well, it's a cartoon. It's really good. You should watch it. It's 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 interesting. It's a little cute little robot guy, right? It's I like, know, but it it has a lot of like darker elements to it that is for adults. Because I mean, I had kids, so I watched it for the kids. But I was like, wow, this is not made for kids necessarily. Um, but all the people in it are just these fat little blobs that uh, coast around in little chairs hooked up to. And they look at screens and they just have these things that pump in to suck their, and they can't walk because their little legs have never walked. And so they're just like floppy little fat things and they communicate through the screens to each other, even though they're all kind of hovering around together and they don't walk anymore. They just hover in these seats and, um, you know, it's just kind of like a worst case scenario for where we're heading right now. And so, uh, yeah, so our society in America, anyway, is is really go. It, our life expectancy for the first time in forever has gone down every year for the last couple of years. So, yeah, and I think that's also just. I think that's more of a stratification of wealth, but also you're right, like lifestyle issues, and but I, you know, I think a lot of it's more stratification of wealth, and like, still, it's a lot higher than it was, say, like pre antibiotics. Well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but 
I don't know if all advances we've made in society is good, a good thing. Should we be living that long? Should, because there's all these problems that have arisen because people are living in their 80s and their 90s and the hundreds. Um, and we're keeping them alive that long when, and then they have to have all this care and they're not there mentally anymore or they have to have their, like, I, I don't want to, have to have my ass wiped just to keep surviving and living. You know what I mean? There's do humans need to keep living if they're living like quality of life. I'd oh, rather yeah. have 40 quality years than 80 and have 20 of them be shit. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like a quality of life thing. Um, also we're overpopulated because of all of this. We, there's too many humans. We make too many humans and then they live for a long time and we have to sustain all of them you know, and, and in a grander scale at the end of the day, is that better? You know, I don't know. I don't, is it better to live to a hundred if you're fucking, you can't take care of yourself and you're fucking falling apart and shit in your pants? No, but I think if, I think as long as you're kind of walking and talking, you can, I mean, if, if you're walking and talking at 90, you may as well go on a few more. But here's what we're doing with old people in this society because we don't have um, like the Hispanic societies and some of the, the societies like that, Asians, where the, where the parents stay living with you and you still have this family. They take care of their old people. Um, and I know like sometimes situations get worse where it's not safe because of their mental, you know, they, they with Alzheimer's or they just don't have the ability to offer them the medical care that they need. But I'd say after working in nursing homes and stuff and talking with people that work in nursing homes, I'd say 75% of the people in nursing homes have just been warehoused there by their family because their family doesn't want to, to do the sacrifice it's going to take to take care of them. And um, that's something that we have now that we didn't have before. You had to take care of the old people in your family. Um, and my mom's like, if I get bad, just put me in a home. And I'm like, mom, we're not putting you in a home. We will come together. We've already, I have three brothers. So we, you know, we've come together to have a plan for mom. And so, um, when my dad died, my mom says we have to kill her. That's what I say. That's what I tell my kids. If I get to the point where I need my ass wipe, just kill me. If I can't kill myself. Yep. That's what I'm saying. It's like is it better to be alive and be in have no quality of life, but you're alive. People get used to like the most awful conditions though. That's the thing. Like people normalize like pretty bad situations. So it's like, yeah. Like when you're 30 or 40 and you're like thinking about being 90 and having to get your ass wiped, you're like, man, I'd just rather be dead. But the first time you get your ass wiped, you're probably like, this sucks. And then by the 10th time you're like, well, I'm not ready to shoot myself today, so I may as well get my ass wiped again. I've been the ass wiper in this situation with, I did in-home non-medical care, and I took care of these people, and this woman had her toes, just the circulation to her feet because she crossed her legs all her life. Uh, she was just, her toes would just blacken and fall off her body, and she, <sighs> she couldn't even feel it, right? Yeah. And, she couldn't get out of bed. She was just skin and bones and she still was terrified to die. She I mean, it's, it's natural instinct. You're not supposed to be like looking forward to the end. But that doesn't mean that she didn't need to die. 
I'm okay as long as I can die reasonably comfortably or quickly. Yeah. No, there's there's ways to die comfortably and quickly if you choose to. I mean, like like this whole COVID thing, it's like, okay, oh. nobody wants to get hooked up to a respirator and die. But on the other hand, like pneumonia and a bunch of these other respiratory ways are like, they're definitely not the worst thing that could have happened. No, because like, they, they sedate you. You're out. You don't know. You know what I mean? You don't well, know. without medical support, you're going to be dead in a couple minutes or a couple hours anyways if you can't breathe, get enough oxygen. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, that moment of drowning or suffocating terror is going to be yeah. relatively brief. I well, think the, I, um, I'd be more, t- I mean, if this were Ebola and like 100,000 people were like, like vomiting and bleeding out of their orifices in their bathrooms before they die. I think we'd be staying the fuck home without having to encourage people to do it. Like people would be walking around in full pressure suits, much less masks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. I think that, I think that just, I think part of it too is at this point, not enough people have lost somebody they care about. And like I was saying, people don't care till it affects them. So I don't think they've seen their loved one have to go through it and be in the hospital and not be able to go up there and comfort their child or comfort their spouse. Because if, you know, I was thinking about, should I go back to Wichita where my kids are? What if one of them gets sick? And my mom, mom was like, if they get sick enough to be in the hospital, Helen, you can't go visit them. You can't go up there. You can't see them. Yeah. You can't enter the room. You can't even go to the hospital. We do have the tendency to hide the hide bad stuff. Like it, I think it kind of started like during the Iraq war where they wouldn't let people they wouldn't let the press see the bodies arriving at Dover because they didn't want the negative press of the casualties coming back. Because well, we learned in the, in the Vietnam war, the, the, the government learned what happens when you, when people have the full truth and they had a tally of who was dying on the screen every day and yeah. they were showing the bodies and the videos from over there in a way that we'd never seen before. Um, yeah. Before World War II, we saw the atrocities afterwards, and we saw some things, but it was very manufactured. Like, they literally brought Hollywood in to manufacture it. Yeah, um, and, we, and there was a lot of, like, and also, like, the amount of people, even in for Vietnam, like, the amount of people that have died of COVID in not even 90 days is is already way more than all the people that died over, you know, 10, 15 years of involvement in Vietnam. That's the thing, too. For the U.S. Not, they're not... Like somebody said something on Facebook the other day about how after 9-11, the faces of everyone who died were everywhere. And we talked about them and we, we showed their faces and we made, we, we put a human aspect to it where I haven't seen that being done with COVID yet. I know that I've seen people that, I know people on Facebook who have lost um, people. I know someone who lost her mother um, in New York to it. Um, And, you know, I see their individual posts, but on like, sharing the stories of people that have died sharing that aren't you know there's some stories of like doctors and stuff that have died but like just the everyday people that have died and their stories and who they were and their faces um we're not seeing that we're just seeing numbers in it that you're right and we're not people aren't because people aren't really they're not going to big funerals for the most part yeah. And also they're not go they're not really going to the hospitals. Like if they really wanted to encourage people to stay home and it, you know, because this is where kind of where I probably, I probably agree with you is like corporate media cares more about the stock market than they do about us. They mm-hmm. are not going to take cameras into hospital rooms and show you thousands of people on ventilators. Yeah. But if we really wanted to lick this and do it 
like take care of this the right way, you would need basically to replace Fox News with a 24-7 feed from the hospitals because that's what would finally get through to people that this is dangerous, that they should take care of it, that they should care about other people because, you know, it is still impersonal even at the scale we're seeing now. I still don't think a lot of the really hardcore people are going to care until they go through it themselves. Well, the guys flying Nazi flags aren't going to care about anything anyway. And it's not that I, yeah, not that far, but you know, just these regular, they're, they're just regular everyday people who are scared and they, they, and they, they're being, they have a different kind of fear mongering. We, we, one side's super scared of the virus and super scared of that. And one side's super scared of having all their money taken away and not to be able to pay their, because there's this, there's a, there's a level of our society that is um, kind of in the middle where they don't get the help from the government and stuff um, like the upper middle class people, but blue collar ones that have like worked factory jobs, like especially in Wichita, there's like Boeing and stuff. Right. And these people get this job making all this money. And what do they do? They fucking go and they get house payments. They get car payments. They get, they get jet ski payments. They don't own anything that they have. And so um, losing their job means they're going to lose everything they have because they can't make the payments on it anymore. Oh yeah. And so, you know, and that's how they've wrapped them into being their little, the, the, the mice on the wheel to keep things going. But you know, those people, there's a lot of them and it's a, it's a whole, I understand. I used to have the mentality of that's what I wanted in life. So I understand um, how that feels like success to them and um they don't what was my fucking point (sighs) that people are on the bleeding edge that there's a lot of people who are only like one or two missed paychecks away yeah these people in downtown that are trying to scream for us to reopen um i don't agree with them and they're idiots but they're scared and they've been scared they've been frightened by you know the people that claim we're fear-mongering because we care about the virus, but they fear mongered them about the economy. So you got those people and they're just as scared as we are. They're just scared for different reasons. Well, and so, I, I kind of want to go after that one. Cause like to some extent, the people that are going to those protests are sort of like, they're the people that when right wing political causes need a protester, they're basically the first, they're on the phone tree, you know, to some extent. And like, people are like, what is, what do the like, assault weapons have to do with these big, well, those you know, with, with these, and I'm, and I'm just like, because it's always a Nazi gun protest, it's just that yeah. when there's some other issue they can use to get attention, they will join that with their Nazi gun protests. Well, because those are the people the media, media are showing to us. Um, and I, I know some people that, that are um, scared to say they, they would protest against it or that they have because of us. They don't want us because they're not left wing crazy people, but they are people scared and want the economy back open. And they're not scared. They're not scared by the virus, but they are, but that doesn't mean that they're right wing crazy people. And they are out there protesting and they are scared of the economy collapse. And they don't think that the virus is that big a deal. And um, they're, they're, they're scared of a whole different reason. And so like, I know some of these people and they're not those, they're, I'm not right. friends with people like that, but I still know people that, it's just like, uh, like I don't agree with everything on the left. Uh, I am for the death penalty. I just Me too. Think, 
I just think that our current our current judicial system is too fucked to have the right to decide who gets to die and who gets to live. But I think that there are certain offenses that, that you no longer have the right to live in our society. If you fucking do, I think that we need to expand it beyond murder. Like I would rather try to rehabilitate a kid that, that shot somebody when they were 19 in a robbery. Um, and you know, just the gun went off or whatever, try to rehabilitate them and murder a child and and then put to death a child molester or a serial rapist. Um, and cause those are things that we don't take, we treat like property crimes and I would rather be murdered than gang raped. I don't want to have to live with, with, because when somebody is, 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 you know, raped or molested in that way, you are killing them. You're killing who they were. And, and, and that, that to me is worse than just completely taking their life away. Taking their life away hurts the people that are here, but they're not hurt. And then molesting them and raping them hurts them and the people that are here, you know? So it's just, I think that we need to, I I just think think that uh, like, I don't see the point of like life without parole as a prison sentence. Like, if the point the point of incarceration is supposedly rehabilitation, at least to some extent, and to protect mm-hmm. the rest of us from you, but the but if there's no chance that you're ever going to be released because you're that dangerous, I totally agree. It's time to just give you a quick one out. Yeah, why? But our system is that's why I'm saying we don't like our current system is not one I would I think we should have the death penalty in because they don't they don't care about rehabilitation, and also the death penalty with all their appeals and stuff, it cost us more to put someone oh, yeah. to death. Yeah. It and becomes so, like a mental, it becomes yeah. like an intellectual exercise for lawyers. It's such, it's such yeah. nonsense. Like, and we, and it isn't usually like the people, I mean, it's pretty much always murderers, but it's also like usually not the murderers that you'd really want to be executed. The people that yeah. maybe knew better. It's always, it's people like that. Yeah. That shoot someone in a robbery cause they were broke and they did something stupid and ended up shooting somebody and they probably didn't intend to do it in the first place. Yeah. And they're not necessarily a bad person. They didn't want to take anybody's life, but you know, they did come in with a gun and they took that chance. There's a chance that, or they were just hanging out with, they were part of a robbery, but didn't actually shoot the gun. Um, Which I understand holding them culpable, you know, I can't say the word culpable. Culpable. Yeah. Culpable. Culpable. I don't know. I can't say words right. I can't spell them and then I can't say them, but I know them to use them. Um, (laughs) I'm articulate enough to know where they belong and how to use them correctly, but I can't say them or spell them. Um, So yeah, they're they're They should be held responsible for their, their role in a crime. It's just that, and then there's the race disparity is really what gets me. I watch a lot of true crime shows, you know, as a white woman in America and, um, you know, you got a group of four black men and one of them kills somebody. The other four black men are treated, are all given life sentences. You know what I mean? Whereas you have white kids who the getaway driver does gets to just, all he gets to do is he gets to plead out and uh, testify against the shooter and he gets off with nothing. So and it's about money too, because there was a case where four guys were in something and I think they were all white, but I can't remember what I'm maybe they were Hispanic. 
I can't remember the race, but it doesn't really matter. But because um, this is about the money, because there was four of them that were all in the same amount of trouble. Um, they were all just as guilty. But one of them's family, right after he got indicted, won the lottery and was able to pay for a really good lawyer. And so that guy got like 10 years and testified against the others. Well, that's one, that's one of my survival qualities. Like, if you get me into trouble with you, I'm probably going to testify against you for a lighter sentence. I'm, I, I'm a hardcore snitch. I'm not going to lie. No, me too. Um, <laughs> especially if it's, well, I've never been involved in anything that's my criminal plan. But yeah. um, when I was, uh, I dated somebody that sold cocaine and I had children with this person. And um, I told them that if some shit goes down and they're talking about taking my kids away, like, don't tell me anything about your business. Don't tell me who you get it from. Don't tell me nothing because I'm going to tell you right now, if they bring me into a room, I'm going to spill my fucking guts. I'm going to tell them everything I know. I'm going to tell them things. I'm going to give them names that I just speculating that might maybe be involved. I'm going to give them whatever they want. That's actually how a lot of women ended up going, getting long sentences in prison though, is that they were, with somebody who was committing a lot of crimes and at least especially in like the federal system the people that either thought they were innocent but got convicted and the people that didn't have any that were so peripheral to the crime that they didn't have anyone to give up they're serving the longest sentences Mm -hmm. whereas the people that knew every detail and spilled their guts got you know, the best sentences. And there's a lot of women that are sucked into crimes because it's a part of the domestic violence. Um, it's a part of the way their abuser controls them. They get them involved in crimes and they're like, D- you can't leave me because I'll, I'll, I'll go down. Yeah. I'll take you down with me. And I don't care. And you ever watch so, that show Hannibal? The, like the fat silence of the Lava show from the, a few years ago. No, no, no I mean, th- there was a show that ran for a couple seasons uh, more re- in recent years so like they uh mads uh milkinson plays the i think that's how you say his name he plays hannibal but it's a really like crazy show because it's like it's super gory and dark but it's also super artsy because that's part of the story that he's like you know he cooks these elaborate meals and the, you know the murders are all like very artsy weird you know yeah art pieces and it's this crazy show but one of the things that they talk about is like his method of like manipulating people is to compromise them that he's sort of like this. He's, he's, you know, they, they kind of describe him like he's sort of a demonic figure and they say like, he's like a nation state unto himself. And he's like the spy of that nation state. And all he does is like find a way to compromise people to get them to go against their values. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, so I think there's a lot of women in prison that were just victims. They got wrapped up in things um, because of their, they were, you know, a lot of them were abused as children and they got wrapped up with the wrong men that continued to abuse them. And they got wrapped into drugs with that. That's another way abusers like control their victims is they get them addicted to drugs and then they have to get the drug from them. And then there's crime involved. Once you get to a certain degree of drug use, you have to steal and do you know, commit crimes to continue to support your habit. It's just the only way. And so, um, yeah, but my nonprofit part of it, I want to go into prisons and work with women to teach them comedy and, uh, you know, 
so when they get out, they can have something to look forward to. Because I know like comedy is something that has helped in this time, you know, just having it, just an outlet, you know, just an outlet for them to, because I know like I'm addicted to comedy now, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe their addiction to, if they have addictive personalities, if their addiction to comedy takes over, because um, like for me, I'm so addicted to comedy that I don't care if the best, most love of my life came along. If there was something about them that was going to be detrimental to my comedy, I wouldn't be with them. <laughs> I, f I think the, do, I, I guess I would assume you're, you kind of miss open mics at this point. You miss performing. I miss it now. It's, it's the first couple of weeks I was, I was like, eh, now I'm just bored, but no, now I'm just like, I wish I, I could go. I don't necessarily miss the performing at the mics. I miss performing on shows. Um, for sure. I miss watching other people perform on shows. Um, I don't miss watching open mics. Um, I don't necessarily miss performing at open mics. Um, I, I miss performing in general. Um, I miss the smoking and joking outside. I miss this. I miss hanging out and talking and getting high with my friends. And uh, I mean, that's one reason I asked you on here because I was just trying to think I needed men because my other podcast, Art of Comedy, I'm interviewing all females. Um, and so I'm using a lot of them on the Fat Lonely Bitch because we do get to talking about things. And the Art of Comedy podcast, I need to be very specific and clean because it's a way to promote the nonprofit since I don't have testimonials from students, you know, of how comedy helps women and helps the queer community and stuff that I'm trying to do with the nonprofit. But I was like, the Fat Lonely Bitch, I need some men on here. Um, and I was like, who are dudes that I ha had enjoyed having interesting conversations with at Mike's dudes that, uh, aren't fucking idiots. Um, and, uh, now I've accidentally, how did I get on this list? Because we have, we've had an interesting conversation for like an hour now and we didn't even talk about comedy until an hour in. Yeah. Well, I wanted to end it on a positive note. Yeah. Well, I have like a note written down, like, try not to make this too much about the apocalyptic end of human no, civilization. No, I, do, you know, you know, I, I enjoy talking about things with people beyond just comedy. Um, and I enjoy how having... I, I do miss the open mics and hanging out, I think, because it was sort of like the social outlet. Like, That's I, I like comedy, but I don't. I recognize that I can't make a living at it so that I, I, I use it as it's a social fun hobby that I enjoy. Yeah. I honestly don't know if I've ever seen you perform because um, I think do you usually go to thick skin on Mondays. That's the last time I was on stage. I think was uh, yeah. that last thick skin right before the state of emergency came through, I think was uh yeah. The one that I, the last, I got on for that one. Oh, I was yeah. like, the, I was on the cattle call and got on. Oh, wow. That's great. That's lucky. I, um, but I always go to Irish Rover on Mondays and, um, it's the only mic that I consistently go to. Um, and so a lot of people consistently go to thick skin, especially a lot of the men, um, men that I like, men that I enjoy their company as a friend or whatever. And so I don't see them perform at the mic, you know, so I don't, yeah. I don't. And it, if I am at the mics, I usually get up fairly early now. 
um, you know, within the first 15 people or so, and then I leave, I don't really stay around to watch uh, the yeah. whole show. And so the people that are coming from Thick Skin are in the later sets. Um, I have been sticking around to try to watch some of the newer female comedians that are hitting the scene that just haven't worked their way up to being put up earlier yet. Uh, like yeah, I was, um, I really like, uh, I really like Irish Rover as well. That was usually one of my favorite mics. There's a real audience there. There is a real audience there. Um, I'd say my only thing is that the list gets so long and it's, I've got this whole thing where it's just like two, two and a half hours is as long as I'm staying at anyone's mic. I don't care if I get on or don't get on, I'm leaving. Like it's like the, you have to just cap the list at a certain point. Well, it drives I me crazy when you when they don't. Well, people get mad about the curating thing, but as a producer, and a and I posted a mic, I, a mic that has a real audience, you have to do that, and that's how you get a real audience. You're still putting on a show, so you have to get people up in the beginning. There's a you have to weave the people you don't know or the new people, but somebody like you who is claim who is a hobbyist is not going to be a priority for a open mic host to put up. Um, yep. And so they're like, it's all about their friends. And it just, it, it is, but that's because the comedians that are really working to be comedians and trying to do it as a living are friends. And um, yeah, so it's about curating the show to put it up to, to keep the audience. You can't just start, you have to start the show out strong or you will lose them. If you, the first five comedians have to be good or you will lose them. Um, especially if the host isn't good. <laughs> you know what are you trying to say about our mutual acquaintance <laughs> they're hit and miss you know what i mean yeah and i'm hit and miss when i'm a, i'm hit and miss when i'm a host i don't want to talk shit on anybody when i, am, I enjoy hosting the few times that i've I done hate it hosting, I... and when i'm an open mic host if i'm not in the mood to be hosting an open mic um it's a fucking grueling process to host an open mic talk about capping a list there it's you talk about not wanting to watch it for two and a half hours try to host one for two and a half hours it yeah the one i've hosted i has usually been a little on the low low, low numbers side so it wasn't that bad to have like 12 or 15 people but once it starts getting over that it, yeah that it's a lot of work yeah, you really need more than one host like you do the first 15 you do the second 15 you know you have to have fresh host coming yeah. in there so like when Orrin went was out of town one time and he had like just a series of people that he did that it was like three of us I think or four of us did the set and you just did the first 15 um and so you know I went in there and was able to make my list of the 15 people I wanted on my session and they got they had it was like picking teams and they had to, you know, do what was left on the list that came in later, which was like some of some of the really good comedians like uh, Anthony Crawford. Um, he'll go up late at Mike's a lot just because he he's always like he goes to Thick Skin. So that puts him late at Irish Rover. Oh, yeah. And then he goes but, to he goes yeah. to yeah the working comics and the, and the grinders. They hit more than one mic. They yeah. go to they do a show. Then they go to a mic afterwards. And I, I think it's not even so much like. I don't care where on the list I am. I care how much time I've spent sitting there. Yeah. And I also, the only thing as far as where I am on the list is I've got a day job and at 11 o'clock, I kind of stop being funny anyways. So at like 11, 1130 is like the, towards the end of where I can muster the strength to be funny. 
So I do not go to the mics where I'll have to wait till two in the morning to tell no, five jokes to no one. When listening. I had a day job, Lion Layers was the first to go, which made me yeah. sad because Lion Layer was all about hanging out with people for me in the summertime outside. I didn't even care. I mean, I'd go up, but I did that wasn't the priority for me at Lion's Layer. It was hanging out with my friends and networking and, you know, yeah. talking to people. Um, and I, I just couldn't do that when I had to get up in the morning. Yeah, Lion's Lair and Charitas were the first, like, some of the first ones I went to and some of the first ones I stopped going to. I loved them. I never got to go to Chorito because it closed down, and I was very sad that I didn't get to go experience that. Um, My first time there was so weird. I I don't think it was ever normal. Like, I I didn't go that often. The first time – that was the first time I – the first time I could ever try to go to in Denver. And it was so weird because somebody that everybody – This is probably a a decent enough story. So uh, I show up there for the open mic and I know no one and someone that everybody else in that entire like community knows died earlier that day. Oh, was it Jordan Weebla? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. And so I'm basically a funeral crasher for three hours. Yeah. I knew her and she's actually the person that put me on my very first show here um, at Blush and Blue. And uh, when I lived in Wichita still and I was coming through and I never really got to know her on a personal level like I wanted to. Um, I just didn't get to spend enough time with her in person before she died. But yeah, I could see how that would be the worst time to try to go to get into the community and yeah that would yeah. be heavy man and, and there is an element of like i'm a i i, I recognize it that i'm not it's not going anywhere for me and i know i mean people you know people hate my pessimism about that that aspect of the industry but i'm just like I, I, I always like doing entertainment type stuff, but I, even as a kid, I was, I was like, I'm not, even if I was talent, even if you're talented enough, even if you work hard enough, it's still, it's like a lottery you only get to if you also do those two things. And you I was like, I want it. The people that get fame and fortune, they had a drive to get there. It was something that motivated them to get there. It very rarely just happens to people. Um, it feels like it does because you didn't know them who they were and now you do, but like, there's really not overnight successes. Oh Uh, yeah. No, I mean all those people, they, well, that's what I mean. Like they grinded it out for all those years and it's still a lottery as to whether you ever get noticed. And you have to be okay being poor and not having, um, comforts that, you know, it takes, but I see people that are completely delusional that have dedicated themselves to comedy uh, in that kind of severity that are never going to make it anywhere. And it's, they really want it. um, But they're just, they don't have the talent. And so they love it. They want it. They don't have the talent and they're never going to make it. Um, There's a lot of pilots who are not going to be astronauts. There's a lot of people who go get a physics degree that are not going to be astronauts. There's a lot of people studying for PhDs that are not going to get a tenured professorship. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's things that are just such, there's such a limited opportunity pool that it's not, 
the other, I think the other part of it for me was that uh, I did travel a lot for work for years and that was like a nicer quality of travel than most comics get to do as far as hotels and where sleeping they get to go car, and stuff. Sleeping in your Yeah, sleeping seat. in your car, sleeping in the cheapest yeah. rooms you can get, mm-hmm. being and being in mostly like sleeping smaller smaller towns and smaller cities whereas like okay, I when I got to travel for work like yeah, sometimes I got to go cruddy places but also got to do like 6 weeks in New York and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like I know what travel is like even when you get a pretty nice budget for it. Well, Travel when you don't have the budget is is not as fun, and uh, here's what it's, I've it's done. a rough thing on your life. Here's what I've accidentally done. I've accidentally made friends with uh, grown, like, comedian women who have husbands that aren't comedians who make a good living, and so they have nice houses with guest rooms, and so I could go spend as long as I want in Dallas, in San Antonio, in Portland, um, and live in a guest bedroom with my own bathroom and parking. So uh, for a month, if I wanted to. So that's how you do it. You just make good friends. And so I don't have aspirations to be famous. I don't think that I have. First, I mean, I I know that I'm funny. And like my friends who don't know anything, like my family and friends, they all think that I am just crushing it you know, out here in Denver, they see my posts and I am fucking living my dream. I'm killing it, you know, but I'm not. And, um, so they're like, no, you could, I can't wait for your Netflix special, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, you realize that just because I get a Netflix special doesn't mean that I'm not still going to be poor and living in my van. Right. It doesn't just, you don't, yeah. like I was in a job interview and I, I, it was a part-time job. And at the time I was just trying to find something. I wanted them to know that I do comedy for, cause I would explain why someone my age with my degrees and my work history would want a part-time clerk job, you know? And, uh, the guy said, well, what, what happens if you get an HBO special? And I was like, well, then you're going to have an accounting clerk with an HBO special. Um, yeah. Cause they don't, they, I mean, for the amount HBO of, work and, well, they don't, and they don't, and, and I mean, the, that article came out like two years ago about what comics really get paid. And it's like, those like Comedy Central specials, those 30 minute specials, they pay $15,000 or thereabouts. And it's like, um, the guy, you could have a job at Walmart and make more than that in the same six months it takes to get that special together. Yeah, because the work that it's going to take to get 30 solid minutes. Oh, yeah. Is because I can do 30 minutes now, but not solid like I'd want on a special. I can do 10, 15 solid minutes that I would want recorded. I think my recordings at this point, well, 20. I think my recordings at this point that are my solid stuff that I've paid a professional to record and all that are like 20 minutes. So I can do a nice solid 20, but um, I can do 30, but 10 of it's going to be loose. And um, yeah. Uh, and and it, and it, and if it doesn't if it doesn't hit you'll never get another one so it's like one of those things that like it has to be like all or nothing on those things for your first one in particular but i mean i love performing i um i like producing under the right circumstances i like helping i like new comedians i like uh finding i like new comedians that i do think have it they do have the talent they do have something special they have that something special and um 
you know, helping them with their careers and giving them a whoop right above me on the ladder. I have no problem doing that. Just like alley oop, like a shake and bake, you know, in uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah. I have There's no definitely problem. some people that that just have like they they have. It's been interesting meeting like so many like comics. Like they, there's some people that have like a lot of talent, but they don't always work hard enough at it. They don't have the and, there's, and then there's some people that are work really hard at it, but they're just not that funny. And it's kind of sad sometimes how hard they That's work. That's what I'm saying. They work very hard and they want it so bad. And they have just completely dedicated their life to it to where they're living in poverty when they don't have to um, because they don't want they don't want the distractions to distract them from their art. And I totally get that because that's what I've done, but they don't have the ability to make it. And I'm not saying I do, I'm not going to be famous, but like this nonprofit has really been a way for me to um, bring all of my skills together, uh, both comedic and business and marketing and everything that I learned in college and all the things I learned in these jobs I hated and my love for comedy and what I've learned about the business of comedy and, and all these things to bring all this together to help people. But at the same time, you can, you, you can get paid to run a nonprofit. It's not, you know, you, people don't think that about that part of it, but so the nonprofit eventually will hopefully be my income source. I just don't need a lot of money uh, to be happy. So, you know, you get these nonprofits and the CEO start, they treat it like a business and the CEO gets paid a million dollars a year and shit. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't care how much money my nonprofit's bringing in. I never need a million dollars a year. I'd rather just pump that money right back into the nonprofit. Here's a question since we both kind of, I think we both have a similar kind of a feeling about fame. Uh, what amount of money would you tr like is worth the fame, I guess. Cause like, I think both of us are sort of more private people. We don't really want to be famous anyways. Well, my problem is, is that I'm not private and that I say everything and I say, I don't like to filter what I say or do. And I feel like fame would make me have to filter it. I also don't have the thickest skin um, to handle the uh, negative that comes with, people talking shit on you when you're famous yeah and i have and, a and need to defend myself against all of it, and it yeah like you especially i i think for particularly women who go into public life like they get a lot of abuse just for being women and it's like like twitter is like i'm a guy and i find twitter to be just awful yeah i don't go i don't i'm never on twitter so i have no idea I, try I look to basically to punish myself i don't know why i even look it's such That's a why waste. i'm not getting on tiktok they're like I have all these friends because TikTok has been around for a while and the kids are, you know, it's being taken over now by moms, as I call it, not just moms, but you know, parents and grandparents are getting on there and ruining it for the children. And the kids are mean. They are ruthless to the fucking old people on there. Oh, They're yeah. so mean. And I just, I just, I just can't handle it because I'll want to defend myself and come back at it. And then I've spent all this energy just defending myself against stuff and I just can't not do it. And so, you know, how I understand what you're saying about fame, the, the hassles of fame, like I don't, I don't, because I don't give a shit about money. I don't think, I mean, if you said I was going to have $10 million, the first thing I think of is all the good I could do in the world with $10 million all the people I could help with $10 million. Um, I think it's sometimes it's like, maybe the question is better phrase. Like, would you rather be 
Would you rather have $10 million or a billion dollars knowing that if you have a billion dollars, you're not anonymous anymore? No, I'd rather have 10 million. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so, but in my plan, you know, I will be, I will be a career maker of those people that make that money and they have the fame. So I'll be buzzing around them. I'll get to enjoy their riches. I'll get to hang out at their cool houses and get invited to their private island, uh, their private island weddings. But I won't be anybody that's on TMZ. I'll just be somebody in the crowd. Um, and, and, and I'll get to just hang out with these amazingly talented, funny people. And um, I don't, I want a certain level of money. I want to be like a comic, not a a comics comic. I want to be somebody that unless you're a real comedy fan, you don't know who I am. So you can like, I think Mitch Hedberg's like that for a lot of people. I don't think Mitch Hedberg's something that really got mainstream. Of course he died, but I don't know if he would have ever gotten like huge mainstream or, or Doug Stanhope. That's a fucking excellent example. My friend, Lynette, who loves comedy, doesn't know who Doug Stanhope is. She lives in Wichita, Kansas. Doug Stanhope, in a lot of areas, can walk down the street and no one... Honestly, if I saw Doug Stanhope walking in a Walmart and in that context out of... I don't know if I'd recognize him. I don't know if I'd notice if nobody... I don't know if I would either. And I I think maybe, like... I think that's also true. Like, most of the... Most of the pure comedy people that don't really... They don't dabble in acting too much. They don't do other stuff. They just accept that they've got whatever living they can get from comedy and touring. That's me. Like, and maybe like the top, and you know, obviously people recognize Seinfeld, but that's only because he got, he got so far beyond anyone who, who basically refused to do anything except comedy. Yeah. And probably anyone will and ever get again. Show. A very yeah. successful, the longest running TV show when it ended, I think something like that. It ran for a very long time. Oh yeah. Um, so that's but he's not, he's, I mean, he's refused to do base. I mean, other than his comedy, his little cars and comedy thing, which is awesome. Um, very entertaining. It's just like, I can do whatever the fuck he wants now. He yeah. can choose, but I have a attitude of picking and choosing now. Like, um, like I was going to do a contest at the funny bone in Omaha and, um, you had to do five minutes clean and it was to win MC spots. And so I worked really hard to write five good clean minutes and um, just worked for two months. I just fucking shipped away because it's not, it's hard for me to write clean, much less yeah. clean and, and good. So I finally did. I had five minutes of good clean comedy that I worked very hard on. And then the night before the contest, I was in, I was visiting Omaha. I was there and uh, I was at an open mic and I was outside and I heard a guy, a comic that works at the Funny Bone say that they booked Louis CK um, to perform in January. And I said, shit, now I can't do the contest. And I didn't think about it at all. It was immediate. I'm not doing the contest. I, I, I immediately walked, went and sent an email to the club, a very professional email that was just like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do, I don't want to be on your stage. If you're going to book Louis CK, I don't want to be on that stage. And then I just backed out and I got a lot of backlash from the Omaha comedians that were just like, well, you better not want to do any club. I was like, you realize there's more than one path besides comedy clubs, right? Well, just good luck. Just making a living in bars. I was like, you realize there's a different path 
behind, you know, like there's a whole DIY alternative comedy scene where people are making a living doing comedy. Um, they're not getting rich and famous, but they're making a living doing comedy and doing what they love. And I like comedy clubs, but I, I would only say that like, I, I kind of regard comedy clubs. They're like karate dojos. Uh, they're a great place if you want to learn how to, you know, break boards and, and increase your skills and all this and they get you in and they bring an audience to you. Uh, but they're like the, the financial model of them is like a karate dojo. Like yeah. if you talk to the, like, if you like all the almost famous people, all the people on the B list and the A list, like most of them are spending a couple years basically working for free the way you would at a karate dojo where they make you teach the classes if you want to be a black belt. But, co- but yeah, but comedy works is special. Um, we're t- there's people trying to do that in Wichita, Kansas, the fucking loony bin, so that they can go around and MC for nothing for $150 a weekend and stay in the loony bin condos in, in, in uh, fucking, you know, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Salt Lake, not Salt Lake, uh, Louisiana, Little Rock, New Orleans or Baton Rouge. Yeah. And so, yeah, and they don't pay them. I did, I hosted a weekend at the Looney Bin in Wichita. You know how much I made? I did five shows. I made $50. Okay. And so if I'm going to put in that kind of, to open for a really funny comedian, that's amazing. And it was a really great opportunity, but you're talking about, I could, I could M- I'm going to MC for Dave Chappelle. I'm going to MC for Ali Wong. I'm going to MC for, you know, uh, these comedians and the ability to network with those comedians is invaluable. Um, and, uh, and comedy works does, they don't not pay once when, if you're emceeing a show, they pay you, they don't pay you a lot, but they pay right. you a lot more than Wichita's Looney bin. And I'm the, sure. the payoff for it is, Comedy works, but comedy works has invested a lot of time into those people. They don't, you know what I mean? Like the, 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 the time it takes to do the line and organize it all and put them up there. It's an opportunity that I've never seen at any other comedy club, the program they have before people get to the point where they are, um, emceeing they it's so much, it's like going to a comedy college for free. Um, because they give you notes afterwards that are good notes that you can take into any, it doesn't have to be a comedy club, but about like, right. uh, and so the, the, it, the learning opportunity that you have there and the investment that they have put into these people that are on stage, um, is, is priceless. It's invaluable. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a reason why it's one of the, you know, it's among the best in the country, definitely top five in the country. And, uh, like, like I would like to be at a Wendy Curtis level, but also be a comedian and be funny. You know what I mean? Like she can walk down the fucking street, but, but, but she's respected by the community. She's fucking, you know, um, yeah, a, a Wendy Curtis level of just notoriety within the scene, but maybe like Doug Stanhope, cause I have the nonprofit cause Doug Stanhope he did a show in fucking Wichita, Kansas at the bar that we have mics at and stuff. And I didn't go to it, but, um, and he hung out with the comedians there and he loves to do small shows and he'll do them because that's what he loves. And that's how he came up. And he's not a comedy club guy. He's not a big arena theater guy, even though he can, he does them and he can do them. Um, 
And, but, but it, that allows him the freedom to say and do whatever he wants uh, in his real life and on stage. Um, yeah. I think of people, people who want to make a living, like I think the writing tends to be like the, the writing tends to be more, more lucrative than the performing, I think for a lot. Well, like these, co- when you talk about comedy clubs and people that tour comedy clubs and make money at it, or they, they do cruises and they make money at it. Um, you can't just say whatever you want. You have yeah. to keep the comedy um, cleaner, <laughs> cleaner, and just digest- digestible by a wider audience. Yeah. Because not everybody. My mom doesn't want to hear someone say "fuck" every word and talk about what their pussy looks like, you know. And that's just not, right. you know. And so those are the people going to comedy clubs a lot of times. Not comedy works. When I talk about comedy clubs, I don't include comedy works. When I talk about comedy clubs, I'm talking about the majority of small comedy clubs like the Looney Bin or Looney's down in Colorado Springs, even though it's a really good one. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I'm big, about big city, club. big city comedy clubs, you get more, I mean, well, even in, I imagine like even in New York, you know, comedy seller, you can go in there and say whatever you want because people who go there are comedy fanatics. It's New York because yeah. that's the audience there. That's what I was trying to explain this summer to these PC. Oh, they're all censoring us. I'm like Denver producers know the, the demographic in which they're producing in. They know their audiences. They know the crowds that come to their shows. They know, you know, they're not going to put you up if you're going to offend them and make them not want to come to their shows. So just go somewhere where the people are. You say that there are people that will enjoy your bullshit. Then go spit it at them and quit trying to force it on people that don't want it. It, There is an audience for that. Go to Wichita, Kansas. I wrote, I tried to write a clean show. And when I, what I wrote, I was like, you know what? I find this funny. And if I did it for like a corporate thing for like people I work with, they would find it funny, but the general public is not going to care about my accounting jokes and my stupid IT I jokes. I write jokes about that because there, you can make a lot of money in corporate comedy, um, corporate gigs. It's a very easy gig. It's like 500 bucks. You get to hang out with the thing and eat their food and drink their booze and, and then you're out of there, you know, and it's, uh, it's usually, I mean, I wrote like maybe 10, 15 minutes of material, a few, maybe like a year or so ago. And I pretty much just titled it like the middle management comedy tour. Yeah, no, there's definitely a need for that. There is also a real lack of females doing it. Not that that helps you, but there is a, there, they, they, there's not a lot of females doing it. And there's a lot of female ran companies and stuff, female centric companies that want female comedians to come in and there aren't them. And yeah. so, but it, the thing is like, I hate that world so much. I haven't been able to find it funny. I just hate it. Um, so, I mean, I have a joke about, I don't know if you heard my joke about like dating being like trying to buy a house uh, and you know, like they have good curb appeal and all this stuff. And I use all these like, uh, uh, real, real estate keywords basically is what I use in it on accident. That's just how the metaphor came to my mind, but I've told it at several mics and I've had people that are real estate agents come up to me and be like, Oh my God, me and my real estate buddies, we love that joke. We would fuck it, you know, yeah. and I was like, I could write a whole fucking thing that's got, I used to do SEO writing, uh, like, um, like in the mid 2000s, I did, you know, like, is that loud? I'm gonna, hang on. Something's loud. Yeah. 
Are they? They're storming. The censors are storming your studio no, I think to prevent you from a, telling the truth to the people. I think my neighbor has a little penis because he has. To, he can't just. He can't just pull in and pull out of his driveway. He's got to like rev, rev, rev all the time. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. It's I a live in a truck. I live on a big street, and one of the things that I've noticed is there's like a handful of people, and they must commute past my house every day, yeah. and they have like a base cabinet in their little truck that it shakes my house no my house is like a like it's maybe like the house itself is like 12 feet off the street like it's you know it's been set back like a normal house and it's up a little hill from the street and i'm like how is it possible that this guy is in his car listening to this and enjoying himself Uh and it's actually shaking my house from like 12 15 feet away i live in a little house that's behind a house. Um, so if there's people out on the main street in front of the house, they have rattled my windows. If they're in the alley, it makes sense because my window is, we park in the alley and so do they. That's why his truck was so loud because my window's open and his truck's like 50 feet from my window. Yeah. So, but I, there have been people out there or on the other street that goes over there where I am like three houses away from that street who rattle my windows with their base. And I'm like, how is that happening? It, it gets to a certain point where like, like there's this, um, I can't remember if it's in like Wisconsin or like Michigan or something where like the government has like a giant, it's essentially a giant subwoofer where they're actually sending messages to submarines in the ocean from like upper peninsula, Michigan somewhere that it's essentially just a low frequency, like, through the Earth's surface broadcast system. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like something we'd do. Are they just trying, are they trying to see what comes back? No, 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 they can't get anything back. It's like a way for them to send messages out to, to submarines, like on the other side of the world. Oh. It's, it's like, I don't know if it's still, if they still use like it or if solar? they found other ways of doing it. What? Like solar? I don't know what it, it's, I, I think it's called ultra low frequency or something or very Maybe, low frequency. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you've seen it, it's oh. in the movies, but they never really explain what it is. It's because it's always a conspiracy theorist that's saying that them doing that is fucking with their brain. It's probably not good for the whales. And that's why they, that's where the whole like tinfoil cap things come from because they're trying to keep, protect their brain from those kinds of low frequency things. Because if they can communicate through the earth to submarines, those signals, uh, their brain works in a way that those signals are being interpreted in their brains so they can hear the words. So um, I'm sure, you know, and now given the knowledge I have about the human brain and how everybody's brain works differently, maybe that's what schizophrenics are. You know, people who like people who I I can totally find like conspiracy theories entertaining, but like the people who are into them, uh, I have often I've made the mistake of speaking to them, and I am the most I am the worst at convincing them that it's not true because my personal like rebuttal to conspiracy theories is that there's no real conspiracy. It's just a bunch of middle-aged schmucks like me who are trying to pay their mortgage. And they're just taking the easiest path through their shitty job like everybody else. 
and the vast it's not like there's a meeting somewhere where they all decide like oh we're gonna fuck over poor people it's just like god it's gonna be i'm gonna get to friday so much easier if i just let them fuck over poor people yeah well i think that for me i have like an agnostic view on things so it's like you know um i i entertain theories that they could be possible i don't say they're true you know what i mean I don't know what the truth is, but I see that could be, that could be one of the possibilities of the truth is that somebody's brain is wired in a way that they are, that they are um, able to hear, to make out the, the, what those, what the, what they're saying. You have a favorite conspiracy theory? Oh man. There's so many good ones. Well, I mean, my, my, my one that I can't, the one that I can't, no matter how many documentaries I see, I can't see that it's possible at all, is that um, Bush and the United States government um, did 9-11. Yeah, I, I could see that one. I feel it's like that could have blown up on him pretty bad. <laughs> you know well, because I, of the number of people involved that it would take to have that kind of conspiracy happen and for none of them to um, speak out about it, just given human nature or, or even the cr- currently that the, that there's conspiracy theories that the entire, that every global government, uh, first world government, you know, like the United States and China and all these people, these greedy capitalist governments mm-hmm. got together and unleashed the coronavirus. Um, and I'm like, first of all, do you know how much cooperation that would have taken on the hands of our leaders? And do you really think that the leaders of all these countries could have cooperated in a way to do that? No. Plus, like, what, what would be the motivation? Cause it's actually like, it's hurt the part of the economy that, yeah. that it, it impacts poor people. But if you think it. rich people enjoy not being able to go to a restaurant, you're wrong. Like, yeah, but no, I'm saying like the powers that be the very high up, a very small yeah. percentage of the government, a teeny tiny 1%, including the presidents and the highest up of the president, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% yeah. uh, did this. So we're talking like maybe 10 people in each country are involved in this. Um, yeah, they don't have the personal, they don't have the skills to do it on their own, and they couldn't keep it quiet if they did. They couldn't keep it quiet, they couldn't do it on their own, it'd be a big competition, there's no way they could, co- they could cooperate. We've yeah. seen them try to cooperate for things that are for the greater good, and they can't. Um, yeah. My favorite conspiracy is, um, I, I'm, I really enjoy the, uh, the flat earth people because oh yeah, they're so, it's like, it's the dumbest one. And it's such a harmless, stupid thing to believe. And they're so and, passionate. Yeah. But you know what I really like about it? There is no conceivable way to blame the Jews. Like, there aren't that. Because like, it requires that every boat pilot, every airplane pilot, every astronaut, all these groups, of all these professions have all kept quiet. And they're not really like... It's not like every doctor got together and had a conspiracy. Then you could blame the Jews. (laughs) The airline pilot, there aren't a lot of airline pilots. (laughs) It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not one of those. What? I wonder why. Why Because they fly on Saturdays. (laughs) I have no idea. But there's a lot of people that are Jewish that aren't like, I mean, because Jewish, 
It's a thin joke. It doesn't have a lot of basis. It's not just a religion. No. It's a. It's also a like like a nationality. You know, your that's your heritage. Is your Jewish? Yeah. If because I know a lot of I know Jewish people that don't that they're Buddhist. You know what I mean? Or yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There, um, yeah, it's a, it's an, it's yeah. There's it's a ethno religious. You could say you can't, that you can't blame the Jewish religion. Or, I think also it's just like I think that there's so there's also like good rebuttals to it. Like if they actually because so many of the conspiracy theories are like it's it, they always find like an ethnic group to blame at the end of at the end of the conspiracy. Yeah. And the, and that that's the one I'm like. There's just no way to blame like any particular ethnicity for this. What do you think of like? Have you watched Waco? I watched about three quarters of it. I think so far. I watched the very tiny bit of it in the beginning. I wa I watched the very first part and then okay. I grew up in Tyler, Texas, which is very close to Waco. And okay. so I was living there at the time that happened. I I uh want, once became uh friendly with um a kid who had gotten out, not that was there at the siege, but had um, gotten out early, like his mother got out and got out with him or something like that, but they, they got out. And, um, so he'd been in that for his early childhood. And then his parents got out before when things got started to get really fucking weird. So he had gotten out maybe a year before all of that. And he went to school with me. And, um, so when all that went down, he told me about his experiences in there and how bad David Koresh was and stuff. And so the very first opening scene is when David Koresh busts out and he says, stop, there's women and children in here. He never did that. He never fucking showed his face. He never went out and did anything. He may have said- I it do feel like the fun. show was a little, like I'm, I'm very skeptical of, of law enforcement a lot of times. And particularly the ATF has a deservedly bad reputation just because when you create an agency that doesn't really- like alcohol's legal, tobacco is legal, firearms are mostly legal, and explosives are still mostly legal. And it's like you've turned like the DMV and given them a SWAT team. Like, yeah. why don't they just license people and let the FBI handle crime? This... And I, but I feel like the show, even if you really want to hammer the law enforcement side of it for their obvious mistakes and stupidity and, and poor motivations, I, I feel like the show made it seem like they were completely, I want to, I think it assigns maliciousness to just incompetence. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that, um, I think that it's not a situation that they have experienced a lot. So they don't have a playbook for it necessarily. They do, but it's a playbook that's never had to be played to work out the kinks, to know what's wrong. And unfortunately they were an experiment in this process. Um, but he was, I mean, he was stockpiling weapons and preaching to his people, teaching them how to use it and preaching to his people about attacking with them. And he was leading down a path where they were going to use, they were going to start violence to get, they wanted violence because that dying in that violence is how they got to go to heaven. Um, so he was radicalizing these people to be very dangerous, violent people. And they needed to be taken down for that alone to protect the public. But also he was a, he was a child molester and a raper, a rapist. Yeah. And, um, 
so that that's what but that's the part that got the public on the government side so that's the emo so you have to have an emotional something i'm learning about a nonprofit and how to get donors right and i learned this in marketing too you got to play with people's emotions so they push 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 this thing about him being that part of it out to the media or to the public you know and so they were like yeah go get that child molester uh, but there were reasons you needed to take him down but then you have cases, um, it gets muddled because you have cases like Ruby Ridge where they weren't doing anything. He was a uh, kind of radical thinking guy. Maybe he had those thoughts that the government needed to be overthrown, but he wasn't trying to make a militia to do it necessarily. He was hanging, he, he was really into guns and he was up there with his family. It was just a different situation. He wasn't abusing yeah. anybody. He wasn't raped. He was raising his, he children. was, they were crazy, but they were crazy out in the woods where you can, you're allowed yeah, to be crazy. If that's what you want to be. Do, yeah. There was none to be no harm to the general public. Right. The, and the only thing was that he got kind of, he, I mean, it's not, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't legally in, it wasn't legally entrapment, but it was like, essentially he got induced to, commit a firearms crime. I think it was selling like sawed off shotguns or something yeah. that it doesn't seem like a big deal, but at the time they were like, they were, I think it's cause the, the FBI and the ATF, they were trying to infiltrate and get informants in these radical militia nut job groups. Yeah. And the way to do that is to get a couple of them to, to commit a crime. So you, you compromise them. Yeah. Yeah. Were we just talking about that? Yeah. Earlier. Okay. Yeah. Earlier on. I had a conversation with someone before you and I wasn't sure when I talked because that's why I was late to this. I was still talking to them. So I was like, when did I talk about that? Um, but yeah, they compromise you. And I, I had, um, my house was searched by the police uh, because my daughter had been living with me and her name is also Helen. And she, uh, she's a piece of shit anyway, but she was like in her extra pieces. Like that was her biggest piece of shit time. And uh, she was doing a lot of meth and just hanging out with bad people. And someone called an anonymous tip that Helen was selling cocaine. Um, and uh, they thought, it, I mean, I was like, who? I'm not selling cocaine. Oh, my daughter, you know. And they wanted to search my house. Well, they had come, I was at a movie with my then husband and they had come and my kids were like, the cops were here. And I was like, what? I'm in the middle of a movie. Um, and so we go, they said they'll be back. And so we go, we rush home and we hide all of our paraphernalia. We didn't have, I, I didn't, we didn't have any weed or anything. This is Wichita. We didn't have any weed or anything. My son, we didn't happen to have any like weed in the house, thankfully, but we, we, we hit all, you know, we got rid of all the fucking pipes and, and stuff like that. But, um, so when they come back, I'm just trying to figure out why somebody would want to search my house. And they tell me it's my daughter. And I was like, oh, that's my daughter you know, you want, not me. I think it was probably a girl that she, there was a girl that she had made mad. Um, you know, it was like they had a threesome and, um, then the girl got jealous and one of those situations, like you've ever seen a couple have a threesome and then like a couple brings a woman into the relationship and then the man and that woman they brought in start fucking without the girlfriend or without the wife. I imagine that kind of happens. Yeah. Yes. And so that's what happened. And the other girl got pissed off about it and probably called in this threat. Or um, I had a pot dealer who was 
being watched because they wanted to catch the people above him. Um, and uh, he, they, he, uh, I'm trying not to give away too much of his information, but still get the point that I need. Um, I knew him well. And so uh, I think maybe because they weren't, once they, once they really got talking to me, they weren't worried about Coke. They were worried about weed. And he, of course, that's, well, they found a digital scale that had some weed residue on it, they said, that could have been used for any number of things. Yeah. Also on my porch were the remnants of when I tried to grow shrooms, um, mason jars, uh, the white, you know, the stuff you use for gardening. Uh, the supplies were there, not all together, but they were out there, like on my, on my patio, just chilling in boxes. And I had like weird close calls with some things like with weird, like, uh, like I used to, I, I was really into going to raves for a while and I was never, I've never done ecstasy and I, I'd like basically, but I, and I was just like the designated driver for like years and years. I don't know how I tolerated it, <laughs> but basically, yeah. And, but basically like, I, I remember going to like some of these parties and like, if you went to like some of these like festivals and stuff like out out in some of these counties where like the cops are kind of dicks, they would like find like a plastic baggie like on the ground and try to figure and try to convince someone standing in the immediate area to admit to it, like or narc out their friend. Yeah, it was. I'm just gonna take insane. you all to jail if you don't tell me who it is. I'm gonna take you all to jail. Anybody that was in the foot of this bag of weed, you're all going to yeah. jail. This is this is where I did benefit from basically being surrounded by friends whose dads are all lawyers. So yeah. this, this is well, the upper this is the upper middle class professional suburban upbringing that yeah. benefited me. <laughs> what the cop did was he turned off his he turned off his camera, and he said, "I'm gonna turn off my camera" because I started to get emotional because he started to tell me. He started to tell me that he started to tell me that um, you know the trouble I could get into and stuff. Um, and then he turned off his camera and he said, I'm going to turn off the camera. So just you and I can talk. So we don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And then he started telling me how um, I could lose my kids and uh, all this other stuff. And I yeah. started crying and I, 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 and he broke me down to where I was crying and I was scared. And then he said, so where do you get your drugs here? And I said, I told you, I don't buy weed. We had, gone to Colorado because we had just gone to Colorado for a trip and 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 we had some of that weed left over like a little bit and it was on the scale you know I don't we I told him that we went to Colorado and we went with a group of friends and that we had the scale because we um we had bought like an ounce of weed but we had all gone in on it and we wanted to break it out so we bought that scale in Colorado and that's why it had weed residue on it so that's what I told him earlier to to explain the scale and um, I came up with that like that too. I'm real good at. It. I, I feel like um, the thing is, is, is uh, the lesson that mind. everybody needs to learn is say absolutely nothing. Well, nothing you could say will help you. I know. And then, you know, I always say, "Oh, I would ask for a lawyer," but I didn't. I didn't feel like I needed to ask for a lawyer. But then he turns it off and he starts saying, "I'm going to get." I, but he's saying it in a nice way, like he's trying to be help me not get my kids taken away. 
He's trying to help me. Right. He's not, he doesn't say it in a mean way. He's being good cop. And he's like, look, Helen, I know you're, I know you're not a bad person. I just know sometimes people get wrapped up and stuff. And, you know, I'd really hate for you to see your kids taken away. And and after he makes you cry, if he then said, move in with me with your kids, then you have David Koresh. It's the exact same tactic. He said, he said, so you, if you, where do you get your drugs here? Who's your dealer? And I was like, I don't have a dealer. I don't have a dealer. I, I told you I got it in Colorado. I use it in Colorado and I don't, I don't have a dealer here. I don't know drug dealers. I said, I don't know drug dealers. I'm just a mom. Okay. I'm just, cause I was like a, I was like, I'm just a mom. I, I have an accounting job. I don't know drug dealers, you know? Um, and so he was like, well, you know, if you, if you could just give me some information, this could all go away. That's a, literally what he said to me with his camera right. off. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you motherfucker, I'm not giving up. And the person that, the person that I would have had to give up is a fan, a child of a family member. It's a family member. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to roll over that easy on anybody, but my, for weed, yeah, much less a family member for I a think the digital most, uh, scale for a I digital think the, scale. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's not, so it's like, but I got a paraphernalia charge. Right. And I had, I, and I, I thought it was just like a ticket. I went to the thing and I paid the $500 and I didn't detest, you know, I thought it was like, it said possession of paraphernalia, but I went and applied for a job and it said oh, yeah. possession of a stimulant is the information they got. So I have to what reveal it? it to people, even though it's not a felony because they're going to see crazy. it. And so I, and, and so thankfully, thank God I am an accountant and an organized person. And cause I scanned everything all our important documents and the pdfs and have them in my google drive in a folder um, yep. just in case and one of those documents i scanned was that ticket yeah they do make all and kinds of weird says, mistakes like that it says on there possession of a digital scale yeah. so i thank god or whatever that i i am organized enough to save that information and have yeah. it to Actually, my, my sister had a had a thing where um, she got pulled over for a for not having her headlights on, like she was like sixteen or seventeen, whatever. And the ticket, so she got a ticket and left for having her. I think she had a parking lights on instead of her headlights. You know, stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyways, she gets a ticket. A couple weeks later, we start getting letters at the house from lawyers, like you know the the automated letters you get, like when oh, when you're in real when you have to go to court, like yeah. they buy the lists, you know. Yeah. And my dad's like, what's going on? And it's like, we're getting letters saying that like you could be jailed. Like, and we're, and we realized that like the cop's handwriting was so bad that it got entered into the computer as a DUI. And so we had to pay a lawyer to get it dismissed. Yeah. It was probably just some clerk entering it and they're like digital scale. Which category is that? Is that paraphernalia? Well, there was weed residue on it. Uh, we'll say it like they had weed. Yeah. Possession of a stimulant. People are thinking meth. That's what they're thinking, especially Wichita. They're thinking meth. I mean, like, I think the other little close call thing that was really kind of scary a couple of years ago. um, Do you remember, like, when when that thing with the scandal with the NRA happened and that one, like, Russian girl was basically, she's, I mean, she was convicted for basically being a spy and sent back, I think she got sent back to Russia. I can't remember what her name is, but... uh, it was one of those things where like she'd been hanging out with like a lot of NRA officials. She's in all these pictures. I don't think I've seen that. But well, so she had been, um, I can't remember what her name is now, but basically 
it was fairly big news because she not she she was a Russian national. She'd been sort of ingratiating herself with a lot of like right wing groups, but also with like a lot of like libertarian groups and a lot of think tank people out of DC. And I'm from there, so like I was like, man. I used to go to parties with like people from like Brookings and Cato all the time. Like they were just part of my social group. Like I knew all these people that were like take, you know, that had taken like low level jobs at think tanks. Like my roommate at one point worked in a think tank and I'm just like, I hope she's not on my Facebook. <laughs> like I like me and like a bunch of other people I know. She was good looking, right? She was fairly good looking. Yeah. And I do remember like if you like, and you know, because it's such an international city, like you run into people from other countries all the time. And there, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously there's, there's tons of spies in DC. It's, yeah. you know, since they followed the Cold War, that's the spy capital of the world. And it's just like all of the people that I know in DC, including myself, we were all going through our Facebook. Like I do not want to be connected to this lady because we will never be able to get a government job. If we want a government oh, job ever again, yeah, like, <laughs> I hope that you don't, man, you don't think that that thing would keep me from getting a job at NREL, do you? What's NREL? National Renewable Energy Lab in Golden. I, uh, I've made it, there's three interviews. Maybe. I've made it through two of them. It's technically not, it's not a felony. It's just a misdemeanor possession of paraphernalia. I don't know. I have no, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things are like, it depends on what you're doing and like because it's a nonprofit that has been for that has been contracted to do the man i don't think mr i mean was it a long time ago it was last year but it was because of my daughter yeah and that's i feel like if they ask i feel like if they ask and you're honest and and it doesn't disqualify you then it's good I yeah. have my daughter lived with me. She was a drug addict at the time, and she left behind a digital scale with with weed residue on it. And I I let them in to search my home because I, I thought mean, yeah I don't I don't know not to, and th- I got caught with a digital scale. And since it was my house, um, it was put on me, and uh, I have the documents. I have a digital scale in my kitchen. It's so paraphernalia is the biggest. Bullshit there, there was ever weed was. residue on it, though, Jason. There was weed residue on There's it. probably the weed residue on my dog. It doesn't mean she, my dog the is a drug user. Up, and he says to the other cop, hey, Jim, or whatever his name is. Hey, Jim, looks like there's some weed residue on this. And he's like, uh-huh. That's definitely weed residue. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was, I was like, just uh, like, oh, my God, they're going to fucking make this a big deal. And I, it is weed residue. If there, we did, there could be weed residue on it. It was used for weed. My, but the problem is, is my stupid, we could have been fine, but my stupid husband's a fucking idiot. And he's not a good liar under pressure, especially without having any time to think about it, right? He can't think of lies on the, on the. See, I think, I think you gotta, you gotta watch that video, uh, the, the lawyer video that just says, just say nothing ever to cops. I shouldn't have let them in my house. You don't, ha- you don't no. usually have to. No, I didn't. But, okay, here's the thing, too. If you do say no, and they do go get a warrant, and they come back, they fucking destroy your house. They rip open your cushions. And they will do that just to fucking fuck with you because they're mad. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because, no. I mean, that's and true, I, but so it's also I'm like. I'm all that in my mind. You know, I, got I bet you they leave a hundred houses for every one of those warrants they get. I know, though. but I didn't have the money for a lawyer and I knew it. 
Yeah. The only way I'm getting a lawyer is if I get charged with something and they have to provide it to me. So if I had had money, sure, I could have been like, no, you're not fucking coming in here. I'm going to get my lawyer. I don't have money for a lawyer. So I had to quickly like go through all these scenarios in my head. Not that actually, because I'm an overthinker that I had never thought of the scenario I had. It's just that I had all my, all my, um, my playbook was wrong when it came down to actually yeah. doing it, I, I didn't react in a way that I thought I well, ever would. No, nobody does because like you're under pressure that is unusual for you. The, the police are always at an advantage because they put that, they know how to put that pressure on people. They do it as part of their job every day. It's You're like, to do it. I'm a smart like, guy oh, and I don't think that I'm, I'm not going to go into an interrogation room and assume that I'm going to out, like no matter how smart you are, you're not going to outsmart someone who interrogates people for a living. They're trained to do it by psychologists who know the human brain. Right. They're, and that's the same thing with, uh, that's the thing, thing with any of it. They're trained to, to do it. And that's with marketing. They bring psychologists, psychologists will consult with marketing firms and stuff too. Like yeah. that's not just back in Mad Men days. They still do it. There's they perfected the art of it. There's people that make their living doing it. And so yeah, I mean, you're convincing people to borrow to take a seven or eight year shitty loan out for a seventy thousand dollar pickup truck that they don't need. And it's like, how do you convince them to do that? Because you create a need in their mind that makes the pain of making that payment also, every month seem not as big of a deal. Also, I don't think that psychologists get into psychology to become those people but i think that they there's people that are driven to have the nice houses and cars and they have all these student loans or they've or they've spent all this time and effort in their own money to become psychologists and they want payback and what's oh, yeah. the best how can i use this psychology degree to make the most money but that might not be why they went in psychology they went in to help people but because they need to make a lot of money they get they start working for corporate America. Hence, That's capitalism, why I work for needs corporate to America. Die. capitalism needs to die. It's creating slaves of us all. We're just slaves in very comfortable environments. <sighs> they condition, they create needs for us that we don't, and then they offer us the solution. That's what marketing people do. That's how they got women to shave their legs because cells got, were down because beards were in. So men weren't buying razors. So a marketing team was like, hey, ladies are hairy. How can we get ladies to want to shave? Oh, we'll just tell them how disgusting their leg hair is and how men are going to want them if they have leg hair and they better shave that leg hair. And that's what rich elite, they, they, they started with the rich people and the people. Right, that yeah. And then that's the new hot thing for the rich ladies to do. And if you don't shave your legs, you're poor and disgusting. And so that's, they created a need that wasn't even there. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's also like one thing that like bothers me and like, especially like people on the right who talk about the economy. I'm like, you do realize like what the economy is for. Like it's to serve human need and desire. It's not just to do We're not doing all this stuff just to rack up numbers on the charts. It's, it's mainly to serve desire and want, not need. It's not set up to, it's not set up to provide the needs of you. It's, it's set up to provide the needs that they say you needed and to capitalize on them and mark up the prices of them. And it's not, they don't give a shit about taking care of people or the need. It's about, it's about making money off of it. And so, uh, 
they create products we don't need. We don't need a lot. Like when I worked at the high-end jewelry store and I walked around in the mall and I was like, yeah. You don't need any of this. There was not one fucking thing in that entire mall. A I'm totally mall with you on the, on the jewelry. You need. The Nothing jewelry is bizarre. You, you do need shoes, but you don't need those shoes. You do need pants, but you don't need those pants. And, and so they, you know, it's like. I, I will say sometimes when it comes want. to like, when it comes to certain like expensive things, like, like, certain expensive things i'm like i'm totally with it just because like if you put on like a really nice pair of pants i have a thing not like a crazy outrageous expensive but like like the difference between like the 40 dollars pair of pants and the 150 dollars pair of pants you can notice yeah well they don't last as long as those cheap jeans at the there's these jeans at the farm stores um, oh yeah i used to have to get my youngest child because they were they they somehow managed to always rip holes in their jeans because they just would they would crawl into weird places and they were just very they have ADHD and yeah. so they were very active and so I would get these jeans because they were they're basically almost indestructible. I and, mean, like it's like an old pair of Levi's. Like the old good. ones were they indestructible. Like they're ugly. They're actually pretty comfortable, but they're ugly. Yeah. But they're comfortable. They're they're utilitarian. They fucking they get the job done. They cover your body. They they last forever, so you don't have to buy a bunch of them. They don't want that. They want you to. They want them to be thrown away, and you consume more, and you get the yeah. latest one, and all that. Or like and a couple so, of years ago, I got LASIK because I got I just got my glasses prescription had just gotten to where like I couldn't see the glasses from the other side of the room, and I was like, you know what? That's I me. didn't think I wanted to do surgery, but I was like, I am willing to pay for it now because I it's have gotten a backup better. pair of glasses that I don't really like wearing that I actually lost for a little while, but there was three days during this quarantine that I couldn't find either of my glasses, but I had contacts. So for three days I just wore contacts and I finally found my glasses and I was so, I found my backup glasses. And so I was like, uh, I was like my, my, my supply of, of this are dwindling. Uh, if I don't find my glasses in six days, I can't see. Yeah. I'm fucked. But I was told when I was like 30, how old are you? Uh, 36. When I was, yeah, I was probably about your age. I was told by the eye doctor not to waste my money on LASIK because it's too late now. I'm old and my eyes are going to start going the other way. And I'm going to have yeah, to. Yeah, I, I got it like three, I guess I've got it three years ago. Yeah. And I almost got it when I was 30. And I kind of chickened out a little bit. And didn't want to do the surgery part. She was like an Asian optometrist, so she just gave it to me straight, too. She wasn't yeah. like, she didn't sugarcoat it all. She was like, at your age? No. Waste of money. You don't want to do that. You're going to have to wear glasses again, maybe five years. you got maybe five, six years in you before you're going to have to wear yep. some sort of reading glass all the time. And I was just like, cool. Awesome. But you know what's cool is I get to wear $20 sunglasses now, which is something I was not able to do my entire adult life before yeah. getting the surgery. And it's so refreshing. I So these are like 22 bucks on Amazon. And I sat on my last pair earlier in the week, and I was like, 20 bucks? All right, get us to get another one. You have put those on. Compared to the $500 stupid sunglasses I used to have to buy, Yeah. You would you spend five hundred dollars on a pair of glasses that look like that? Uh, no, but well, you know what it is? Is it's the frame? It's the frames when it comes to you prescription put those eyewear. You glasses on and put on a fucking camouflage hat. 
or a MAGA hat. Wow, put those glasses back. <laughs> on. You tell Hold on, I, no, I don't have a lot of hats. It totally changes who you look like as a person oh, yeah. walking down the street if you can't. I look, I look like Meal Team Six right now. Yes, actually. you look like. What's up, bro? <laughs> Get any bitches lately? Yeah. No. If it weren't if it weren't for my like uh, hippie co-op uh, yeah. camping shirt from down wow. the street, it's amazing how much a difference a pair of glasses changes in my first impression of who you are. I know. God, you want to? Like if I saw you in an online profile with those glasses on, I'd be like to left. I I, I, I left. look like a guy who's about who's gonna maybe ask if you want to get on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> the shitty boats. Yeah. So yeah, you and you could change that look by your hat. You could put a sports hat on. And you would look like a sports guy. Yeah. And you could put a fucking redneck hat on or a MAGA hat on, and you would look like one of those guys. See, that's what I mean. My survival strategy in the apocalypse is that I can tolerate almost any social group, no matter how obnoxious or stupid I personally consider them. Therefore, I can chameleon the fuck out of yeah. my survival. Yeah, I can't blend physically into those groups um, without a lot of fucking growing out my hair and putting on makeup and, you know, doing a lot of different. There's a lot of things I would have to do physically to fit into those groups. I can walk right into a country club golf course. I can make yeah. it. I can, I'll make, I, they won't even ask me who I am. I can fake it personality wise and with words and I can act it out. But I, I can't look the part, um, but you can really, I mean, I could look the church lady part. I've done that before. Yeah. The church lady, you could definitely pull off. I could look. Yeah, no, I have some clothes that my mother gave me that um, probably aren't anything I'd wear, but I thought I I'd been thinking about this like character. That's like a, a, a real like just mom in the outfit. You know, if there's ever uh, like a like book the, club that has like a terrorist wing to it, the they could send you to infiltrate. Like the smoking, you know, there's that smoking granny that smokes a lot of weed and she's super stoned. I may, I maybe I'm not familiar. She takes these huge ass bong hits. It's amazing. But she still acts like a hippy dippy person. She's just an old lady. But I'm talking yeah. about a woman that's like my mother, um, but is a pothead. And so um because like my friend's mom's like that. My friend's mom, um, she wasn't, she'd always smoke pot. She's kind of an older hippie, but she's a lot like my mom now. She, you'd never know it by looking at her, but she had cancer and that really ramped up her weed smoking. And now she smokes weed. I bought weed from her. She used to, all the comedians would, she would buy weed from this woman who, cause her daughter was a comedian. And so she's super cool. Um, she wants, she'd be cancer. Yay. But I sat there hanging out with this woman that reminds me of my mother in every other way, except for the fact that she is just ripping these huge fucking dab hits that I can't handle and smoking me under the fucking table. But she's still talking like a mom and my mom, but with cussing and stuff. You know what I mean? Like she was a little dirtier in her talk than my mother or whatever, but she's sitting there talking. Okay. This woman's talking about how she has, um, when she gets a strand of weed that she really likes, she takes a little chunk of it and she puts it in like a little thing and labels it. And so she has this collection of all these little chunks of weed that of like in a little curio cabinet thing. That's like her little weed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, like the people that have been all over the world, and they took a little soil with yeah. them. Like, yes, like little chunks of weed, but she's just a mom and a grandma and like, a, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, I was thinking, man, that would be really good. Those clothes would be great for that character. And also, um, 
I'm, I'm dabbling with maybe making her like Nova Scotian, you know, like Fargo. I don't think oh, I yeah. need to. I think I might, I might lose some of my ability to do it authentically if I did that. I think, I think that might be one of the hardest places like to infiltrate. Like I think for me, coming from like the buttoned out mid Atlantic, I think I'd actually have a hard time infiltrating Canada. Like I've been to Canada a lot. Yeah, I'm talking more like but, Wisconsin or uh, or South Dakota, you know, yeah. like an Americanized Canadian. Like I feel like I could, I could, I can definitely go northeast New England. I can infiltrate. I can infiltrate the southeast, no problem. I got, I've got, I've got the Merlin accent if I need it, you know. Yeah. I can authentic, I can authenticate with the Confederate flag waving set if I had to. <laughs> I don't really want to. <laughs> well, it really goes back to those blowjobs, Jason. I got that. You know, yeah, I they're can, more into handies. You know, they like they like working with their hands. I can suck a Nazi dick as easy as I can suck a, a liberal dick. You know what I mean? Um, back when I was living in D.C., my roommate was super excited when he hooked up with a Republican girl. He was like, "This is as close as I'm going to get to fucking a Nazi." Like, I I mean, hate fucking. I mean. I do, I do. He have, did look like a future Fox News host. Like she was are some, smoking yeah, hot. There are some good looking guys on the right that I have thought about rage fucking. Um, like Ted Cruz. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what it is about him. But uh, not him in a suit when he's being Ted Cruz, but like the pictures of him in his regular clothes with like his family and stuff. And, you know, just paparazzi type candid pictures of him and stuff. I'm just like, man, I want to rage fuck the shit out of him. I don't know why. I kind of, I don't know. I, I, I find it sort of the opposite for me. Like, I find that uh, I don't really find like the sort of like blonde Botox thing, like attractive yeah like it's too attractive man it's too porn starish for me like i feel i don't know i i think it i think my my regret is that i i don't i'm super like weird and yet i don't dress like it and therefore i can't go and like be with the punky you know the punky set even though i enjoy the music and i enjoy the uh that culture a little bit more yeah but you're like, like i'm you know they're very accepting of people though. So you don't have to be um, one of the- But I'm a corporate whore. I know I'm a corporate whore. Oh, because of your job, you're a corporate whore. I'm a big corporate whore. Yeah. I got, I, I mean, it's gotten, I don't know, it's gotten so bad. Don't talk about that, just talk about music. Don't let I know. Just, there's no reason. You can talk to those people about music all day. They'll talk about music all day. Just talk about the... I don't even have to do the talking because I don't know that much about music. and I mean, I'll just, I'll just let them talk, talk about it. Just make sure you have them talk about things that they um, they enjoy talking about and keep it on those subjects that you agree on and don't talk about the subject. And I'm really good at doing that as much as people, as much to a certain degree, um, as much as people, as much as a bitch as I am on this fat, lonely bitch podcast, I have certain things I get passionate about and they're usually because humans are being hurt or something involved in it. Um, yeah. But I am, I am able to tolerate a lot of different thinkings um, and see their side of things, be able to, to 
only talk like my family there me and my mom just don't talk about certain topics we just don't talk about abortion um because we know we don't agree on it we know we both feel very passionately about our side and we just don't talk about it i, I feel like you and your mom are probably both your pastor abortion years anyway so it it doesn't personally matter my daughters aren't I think I just tried to reclassify the childbearing years as your abortion bearing years. It's true. They're one and the same. They are one. That's a good way to put it. You know, I'm about the age where I don't have to worry about abortions anymore. You know. I feel like I could help. I, I could help female comics write yeah, really horrible I'm material the, that only I'm women could tell. That'd be great. I'm past the abortion <laughs> phase of my life. You know. Um, when I was popping out babies right and left, I obviously didn't feel abortion was the right choice for me. But if I got pregnant now, if I could get pregnant now and I got pregnant now, I'd be like, scrape it out. Get rid of this thing. Absolutely not. People are like, how can you have had children and not, and, and go through that miracle process and be able to end it and not understand? I'm like, pregnancy sucks okay it looks horrible it is fucking awful you it know what else anyway there's a lot of ugly babies like I, I know i'm not allowed to tell people that they had an ugly baby but like my sister started having kids and like her kids look like they're her kids were very photogenic whereas but some of the kids that would show up at the kids birthday parties like i was like why are they hideous yeah some little babies <laughs> some of the ginger ugly. babies are really hideous some well, that's my theory on, on redheaded men and uh, that I was trying to do. I was trying to say that redheaded men are going to be better in bed because um, no matter how good looking successful they are now, they all went through this extra awkward phase in middle school. I didn't even think about them being ugly as babies, but they go through this extra phase in middle school where they're just, for some reason, they're all extra skinny and tall or they're extra fat or they have weird teeth or big ears is a thing and they grow into them and the freckles. And, and so, uh, well, same thing with redheaded women from what I've heard, like a lot of them sort of, I, I remember like hearing like from like a few of them, it's like, they're basically like, I pretty much got teased mercilessly. And then when I turned like 14, I became God's gift to men. Well, and, and that was like, men, that was what happened. No matter how good looking successful they are now, they still have that, that insecurity inside of them. So they'll try harder in bed to please you. Do you, you know what else I, I remember was uh, conditioned to be pleasers anyway. So men some people just have, have really like, uh, some people just, they, when you see like mismatched couples, isn't it kind of like, I, I always remember like coming from DC, like some of the congressmen, like, cause it is Hollywood for ugly people. It, it's like, have you seen pictures of Dennis Kucinich with his wife and his daughters? Like he's a loon. It's like on Parks <laughs> and he and looks Rec. weird too. Like and Parks his and wife Rec. is smoking hot. Parks and Rec, Jerry, Gary guy, you know, his wife and kids. It's like the guy couldn't figure it out. He's like, what? Well, it turns out Gary has a huge dick. And you know what else? He's nice to her. He treats her very well. He's a nice guy. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Like I'm watching, I watched the show, um, The Last Kingdom, right? 
and the princess, that is a good show. I like that show. When the princess chick gets taken, she falls in love with Eric. You know why? Because Eric was nice to her, and Eric oh, yeah. told her that she was precious, and that she needed to be protected, and that she needed to be cared for. You're talking about like the most recent season, yeah. like the end of it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah he said you watch Vikings too. Yeah, I watched Vikings. I didn't watch. Well, I I watched Vikings till Ragnar died, and then I just didn't care anymore. I don't know. I, I, I kind of stopped when he died. And then I recently watched like season five and like the first couple bits of season six and it's still pretty good. It, but I do like, I miss Floki. You like, you hardly see Floki after like season five. And man reminds me of this dude. I went to, that I was like in my friend's circle kind of in high school. And uh, we were tripping at the lake and we were all like, I was like 15, 16, probably. And he's driving because he's the one not tripping, but it's not that he's sober. He's just not on acid. Um, and there's like four people smashed into the back of this little car. And I got lucky enough to get in the passenger seat. And because there were couples, there were two couples and I was a loner. So I got to comfy passenger seat. They were all smushed back there, uncomfortable. So we're driving around the lake and we're just fucking frying balls. And he's driving and he has all these piercings in his face and he's got his head shaped like that. And um, I'm tripping and I'm talking about how it looks like we're in a fake, we're on a fake earth that the, like, like in um, Beetlejuice, you know, like a, oh, like a, the, fake, yeah, like a tree right. fake and we're just driving around on it and maybe this isn't real and it's all just fake. And he just feeds into it and he's just going naturally. He doesn't need to be on acid. But at one point he turns to me and he's like, <laughs> And I was just like, oh, my God, it's him. It's floating. <sighs> yeah, I, I do think my, my some of my guilty pleasures when it comes to TV are like spy shows, period pieces, and space operas. And I pretty much can't say no to, to any of those three unless they offend me with their stupidity. Yeah, I like, I like Viking-type shows. Um, I like... Uh, anything, yeah, like uh, the Tudors. Yeah, I like the Tudors. I Plus, because like, uh, what's her, the uh, Anne Boleyn, the. Uh, oh my God, the first, the wife, the first wife he beheads. I love her. I love her. Um, shoot, what is her name? And she's she plays almost the she plays Marjorie Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Yes. Too. I was like, she's playing like the exact same character, and I think even yes. I think she's been in like a third no, thing she where she was in like she was in um yeah she was in um the Mockingbird, the uh, Hunger Games movies as the um, camera operator, the director. Oh, and she, you know what she's in now? She's in like, I don't watch Penny Dreadful, but I know she's in Penny Dreadful this year. She had that half head shave thing. Um, Man, yeah, I love her. That's my kind of girl. The way her lip turns up a little. Oh my God. Yeah, she's she's kind of my thing. I have yeah. to. We're we're we got the same celebrity crush. Yeah, she's you know, <laughs> thick but not fat, and her boobs are just. The I, right I would size. I would help her murder Cersei, no problem. Yeah, her boobs are just the right size, and then not, you know, but she's also so smart, like not just her, but the actual actress. Um, and, you know, speaking of like, like I, I first fell in love with her as Anne Berlin, you know, and so that character itself and her, her intelligence. And so there's like, it wasn't even the actress that I was in love with. It was, it's like Mad Men. Like, I love the guy, the head, 
the guy, the main guy, whose name I can't think of right now, I love him playing that role as Mad Men, and I think he's so hot. But him as a regular person, I just think he's too goofy, and I don't want, I don't find him as attractive. Natalie um, Dormer's her name. I, I had to remember what the name yeah. was. Yeah. So like, I fell in love with that character of her, of this, this strong woman and uh, the mixture of strength and, and, and femininity and stuff like that. And cause that's kind of women I'm into in real life. That's why I don't date women is because I can't get the women I want. Um, I, I, on that, on my other celebrity crush list, I think it's her and, and Mila Kunis for yeah. sure. Uh, she, you know, remember like that '70s show? Oh, she yeah, plays yeah, like yeah. the voice of Meg on Family Guy. Yeah, I, I'm more into. She's very funny when she's been interviewed. She's, yeah, she's hysterical. She's adorable, but I'm more into the redheaded girl. Um, Donna. She's tall. I like. Oh uh, yeah. She's tall. She's sturdy, but she's not, you know, big. She's tall and sturdy and like powerful and. Uh, and this is mostly based on the character, I guess, not on, not on who they are as people. I don't know what they're like as people. I've never really, well, yeah, Donna, the, the, the woman that plays Donna, I don't really know a lot about her as a person off of, out, outside of her character. I guess the other one has kept going. So we have learned stuff about her outside her character. Um, she's a really good actress. I know that. So I have respect for her and the, I respect these women and I like, I'm trying not to just sexualize them and talk about how great her breasts are. But when I think about Anne Berlin, I just think about her boobs. Yeah. The, well, especially in that, in that show and in Game of Thrones, where like they're wearing those like outfits that are basically like, well, we can't have sex until we're married, but here are my boobs. Oh, the scene in the woods. And her long legs, even though she's not a tall woman, she has long legs. Anyway, God damn. This went off track. <laughs> went off track. Went from apocalypse to like celebrity crush. Yeah, now I'm like got like that whole. Now I gotta go rewatch the Tudors, man. I've watched it like four or five times. The first time I watched it, my kids were smaller, so I they couldn't. Well, I can never watch it with my children just because of the they're. The sex they have is supposed to be all secret, but they're so loud. And so I could watch, I'd be watching in my bedroom and trying not to have it too loud. And my son would be like, mom, come on. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And they just, yeah. the scenes last forever. And they're just like moaning and screaming and slapping asses. And it's so fucking loud. Um, I'm just like, this is forbidden sex. Be quiet. Yeah, I, I, do, I think this is one of the best things about, like, the last, since I moved to Denver, I've lived by myself, and I just, like, I had roommates for, like, my whole adult life up to that point, yeah. and I was just, like, it finally got to where just, like, I had a hard time finding roommates who wanted to, like, split something nice, and then I also did not want to be a camp counselor to people who were, like, 10 years younger than me. Yeah, I got really lucky, I mean, my roommate situation's ending. I got really lucky because they are 25 and 26, but they are more grown and mature than I am. I'm currently sleeping on a mattress on the floor, uh, you know, and they have like their, like, like she cooks and plays jazz music and chops up food and has an apron on. And I, they're way more sophisticated and mature than I am. Uh, I just, 
I mostly just stay in my room. Towards um, the beginning of this thing, I, I had a little theory going that my Tinder matches would start to get better and better oh, just because like women would hate their roommates so quickly if they have to spend yeah. time cooped up with them. Yeah, well, I had uh, the theory that getting back in online dating, there might actually be people that want to talk to me and get to know me as a person because we can't hook up. And no, there were actually more people that were just getting down to the point and being like, want to fuck the world's ending. And I was just like, no, I just want someone to hold me and talk to me. I, and and it's, it's like men who haven't been, men who haven't had sex in six months, suddenly the fact that they haven't been out and had sex in two months is like this huge deal. And there's just these, these testosterone filled fucking monsters. And some of them, the good ones can recognize it. Cause I, I did get to a texting phase with a dude and I started sharing too much with him emotionally too soon. And he was trying, he, he basically said to me, look, I do want to get to know you as a person under normal circumstances. Okay. If you'd have met me four months ago, it would have been different. I think we need to just not talk anymore till this is over and we can meet in person because I just want to be disgusting right now. I am so driven by my testosterone at the moment. I want, I, I, I want to care about the words you're saying to me, but I don't. And I just want you to come over here and have sex with me. And he, ba he didn't say it like that. That's basically what he said to me. And he said, and I don't want to be that guy. So let's just not talk. And when, when, and cause I was also like, I'm sharing way too much with you because I'm in a fragile emotional state right now. And I don't have anybody to talk to. You know what I mean? I, I'm telling right. you. I mean, even just shooting the shits become like a luxury item, especially for people who live by themselves or yeah, don't feel like talking talk to their talk roommates. About the apocalypse and, and being, you know, these, these deeper interpersonal subjects that you don't usually break out when you're just in a texting phase and you haven't met anybody in person, you know? Do you think we're going to need like a mulligan when this is over? Like on, on like, like, okay, I understand that basically every other person on the planet was like some degree of mentally ill during the period in question and that we can kind of like all take a mulligan when this is over. I think that, I think we're going to come out of it with a lot of people finally understanding about depression and anxiety like my mother you know, you know, she understands me, uh, in a way that now that she did it before. Did we talk about that? Did I tell you about my phone call to my mother? Uh, maybe not, it was but I, it was pretty I'm like one of those people that like, I can do alone time plenty well, but even I like at the point of like four or five weeks in a row of it, I was just like, I really miss like that, like one event a month I actually get invited to. Yeah, I, I was, I was not one used to alone time because I had children, um, at, you know, 18, basically 19 and I've never lived alone. I went from living with my parents to having children and a partner to just having children. Um, and so I've always had, and I've always had animals. And so for me, it's not just that I've had people around to be, um communicate with i've always had somebody around that needed me to they needed me to be there they needed me to take care of them and no one needs me i don't have a dog now i left him with my kids because he was very unhappy here without other animals i have nothing to stop me from laying in bed and just sleeping all day if i want to um and the dog is really nice. I, I, I don't know if I could have handled this without the dog because 
for a long time. Like I got a dog of maybe I got a dog right after I moved back to Maryland after living in DC for a few years. And I had roommates there? most of that time. What? You have a dog there? Uh, yeah, she's a, uh, where did she dog? go? Yeah, if we can she... figure out. She's, I, we did a nice hike this morning and it's uh, like, so she's um, she really likes, there's this weird closet. You can't see it, but there's this, they, I guess they tried to make a walk-in closet, but they didn't really have enough space. So it's a walk-in closet that is basically, it really should just be a reach-in closet. Yeah. And so there's no door. And the dog, like, sleeps in there like it's her cave. Well, if she's, if she's in her cave, don't bother her, but. I don't know if I can get her, get her on this camera, but, yeah, I have this big, like, 80-pound. She's, oh, like she's, she's like a black and tan coonhound mix. Aw, I want to come pet your dog. Well, when this is uh, over, come visit the dog. She loves people I visiting. I won't get near you. Just let me pet your dog. You can come over and pet the dog. <laughs> it's cool. I got a yard. You can hang outside and pet the dog. She loves visitors. She thinks every person who's ever come here to fix anything or do anything is you here to visit her. The yard? I have a little house with a little yard. Oh my God. See, that's what being a corporate slave gets you in Denver though. I had to move out of DC to afford it. That was, that was the part of the leaving DC was, was in DC. I can buy a row house and have roommates for the rest of my life. Or I can go to Denver and buy a house with a little yard. And the thought of having a house with a little yard and a dog and all that is, so appealing to me but it doesn't get me off and comedy gets me off like literally like one time I, I ate an edible and I did some dabs and I'm doing my thing and I'm thinking about the normal stuff you think about and then somehow I don't even know how I started thinking about comedy and then I started thinking about doing a show an hour show in front of 20,000 people and I'm just fucking killing it every word is golden and I have them in the palm of my hands and at the end of it they give me a standing ovation and I had an orgasm I guess that's one way to go and I it was completely and and I've never ever 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 had that kind of thought about owning a home or having a lot of money. It doesn't get me off. It doesn't get my juices flowing. It doesn't get me excited. Uh, it sounds nice. And I would, I would definitely, you know, uh, maybe look to date someone that has all that and just like shack up in that situation, but it not be my responsibility because I know that there's so much responsibility that comes along with that yard and that home and you have to. The, the yard part is, is a little overrated. Like when you have a dog having a little fenced area for the dog to go do her thing without you at four in the morning is really nice. Yeah. That part I like, but I have to say, I, I do not have that much grass, but I do not like mowing the fucking lawn. No, I've never mowed the lawn in my life. It, it's not like my dad, we, at one point we lived a little bit out in the country and we had like a two, eight, like, I feel like it was like two or three acres, but most of it was woods, but there was a solid like acre of grass and he would spend like his entire Saturday driving that freaking lawnmower and like, he enjoys doing that kind of stuff. Maybe not the lawn mowing itself, but like no, the ride. He, he was always a very hand. He's a very handy person. He likes building things. Did he have a ride? And all that stuff. He had a ride mower. Yeah. I would probably enjoy mowing a yard, a normal sized yard, on a riding lawn mower, because that seems fun. Um, it's very noisy. Maybe they're not quite as noisy now, but they're. I remember them. I I don't like a lot of like. I don't like super loud and 
I remember riding with him on it and thinking and just make, really having a hard time like focusing because of the amount of noise like blaring and you know at you. Yeah. Now I'm thinking maybe I just need to hook up with a corporate whore and be the whore of a corporate whore. No. No. I will say this. There there are worse things in life than being a corporate whore. Like, and actually I, I work for, I won't name where I work, but I will say this. I have, there are a lot of jobs out there that pay okay, pay good, whatever. There aren't a lot of companies that actually give a fuck about you. Yeah. And while I imagine they would put themselves ahead of me if it came down to it, they have never done that because it, it is maybe because it's never come no, down to it. They are. No one's going to listen to this, Jason. They were <laughs> I know. two and a half hours in. I would also, I, I could tell you offline. It's not a big deal, but yeah. it's just like, there, now, there's just not a lot of good companies that actually care about people. This company is, I need to know. I won't say it out loud. I have to know now. I have to know if I still respect you at all. Oh, they're not even that evil. As a corporate whore. Because some corporate horrors I can respect over others. I don't even know who the fuck that is. So. Exactly. Cool. All right. <laughs> You're not a corporate whore. When I think, when I hear corporate whore, I think of people that work for like. I joined IBM out of college. I'm a corporate whore. Evil corporations <laughs> that are. Yeah, but you're not that bad of a corporate whore. No, I mean, well, I'm reflective enough to recognize that that's yeah. what it, that's what I've the choice I've made. And like, I remember like I joined IBM out of college, and I went and bought a used BMW and a blue suit, and I did the whole fucking thing. I was full on corporate whore. I had my. I remember going to the training, and I remember like thinking like. I wonder what color my little placard is going to be when I make distinguished engineer in like 20 fucking years. Now I can and I'm like, you in- and after a year of it, I was like, I'm out of here. This is not for me. And now I see you in the glasses at the golf course with the rich people. Now I see it. I didn't see I just don't before. like golf that much. Like I wish I liked golf. I would be richer if I liked golf. I like getting drunk and driving golf carts though. I don't I think I've a- ever driven a golf cart. Oh my God. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, a guy I dated that was really into golf and he, um, uh, he played it in, he went to college on the scholarship for it even. And, you know, so, uh, he wanted to go pro that didn't happen. And, um, so he's really, really into golf. And, um, so I was like, you know, cause I loved him. I was willing to try it. So I tried and, um, I knew that if I could hit a golf ball, it'd probably feel really good to watch it fly but I just can't, I'm not coordinated, but we learned that I really enjoyed having, you know, two to six beers, depending upon how many holes he was playing and just mm-hmm. driving his golf cart around. Cause he didn't like driving the golf cart, um, and stuff. And so he would walk half the time if it wasn't that far. And I would, cause that's how he got exercise. He liked the walking part. He wasn't really into the golf part. You know, we only got the golf cart because I wanted it. And I wasn't, I was like, I'm not doing all that walking. And he's like, well, I'm not going to drive the golf cart because I want to just walk. I was like, I'll drive it. Fuck it. And then I was like, this is fun. And so I like driving the golf cart. And so like, while he's, you know, taking his shot or while he's walking, I, I would just go around him in circles in the golf cart and go up yeah. ahead of him and yeah. It was I think fun. I, I think my dad stopped playing. Like I, my dad played a little golf, but I think he just, 
I think he stopped playing around the time I would have been old enough to be allowed to drive the cart. Yeah. It's fun. And I, I no. ski. So yeah. my, my, my upper, cl- my upper class, like sport of choice. Like I had to pick like one expensive thing to do. That was what I chose was skiing. So I, I don't want to spend money on golf and I don't yeah. find it nearly as exciting. My youngest child had expensive things that they wanted to do. Uh, they got into fencing, which is a sport of gentlemen. And um, they were pretty good at it, but it is expensive to get really good at it. I'm sure it is. And so it came to a point where I, as a parent, was more than willing, because I had done it, like I had kids race BMX, my, my younger daughter, my middle two. And that's an expensive sport. And you could, if you really get into it and you start competing and you do travel oh, yeah. and all this stuff, it's an expensive sport to have. Any sport um, I think has gotten kind of like gymnastics is expensive. There's like, so much equipment that you need just to be on the track. You have to have a bike and you have, oh, yeah. and if my kids are going to get into something competitive, I want to make sure that they have the best that I can give them. They have the best competitive advantage. I'm not that competitive of a person, but my two middle kids are, and it makes them happy. And I want them to be successful in whatever they're doing. And I want to make sure that they have all the proper tools and skills and everything they need. So I sent my other son to basketball camps and it became a point where he had to choose between basketball camp and BMX because I couldn't afford to do both. He chose basketball. And then, so with the younger one, it got to a point with his fencing that he got to a level of being good at it to where it was like, the teachers like starting to talk about wanting to take them to competitions and stuff, but that all takes money. It was going to take better equipment. He just had the cheapest fucking starter stuff, you know, it was going to take right. a helmet and a better fucking swords and, and then the travel and the, the submission fees. Oh yeah. My, my little brother was into, my little brother was into ice hockey and like, you know, I mean, we're short, so we're never going to be most sports. We are not going to be pro athletes. Like I, one of my cousins is even shorter than us. And he loves hockey. Like he, I mean, him and his brother and his dad all love hockey and they got us into it. And he went, his story of like playing club team in at Syracuse, the way that his, his mother will retell that story. And I'm like, I think you're just telling me the story of Rudy, the movie, yeah. except in hockey. But, but that's the way that they see it because he's too small to be, a, uh, you know, to be like a competitive hockey player, but he loves it. He works well, hard at it. I think my kid could have been good at it. He's built for it. He's, he's um, tall and linky. He's got real long arms and legs, um, which is really helpful because you can move further away and further in than your competitors. Mm-hmm. So he really is, does have this Anglo-Saxon build that is very good for the sport. Um, And I would have figured out how to pay for it if he had wanted it. But he was like, he didn't want, basically back to like the fame thing. He didn't want the pressure that was going to be on him if he knew that I was spending this kind of money on him that, that. He knew he you better had get a, get a scholarship. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, never, that's the kind of thing. He yeah, didn't have the work ethic that it yeah. would take to go to a new level, and he knew that about himself. And he knew that if he quit, and I had spent all this money on it, that I was gonna fucking be like, oh, yeah. I was. Well, gonna- one of the first people I met uh, when I started kind of dabbling in comedy, um, you know, did the Humor magazine in college, and like one of the people who was like, I guess he was a senior, junior you know, that kind of ran, you know, partly ran the magazine when I got there was, um, he would talk about how basically like he was really into fencing 
And he was like, I could, you know, he's like, I have, I have Irish citizenship. Like I could probably be an Irish Olympian. If I had the drive, I'd never make the American team, but I could make a smaller country's team. You know, and, but you know, this has been like probably the most interesting podcast episode I've had for fat, lonely bitch, not to disparage my other guest, but just let's uh, disparage them. It was fun. No, just the flow. Um, when I'm good at something, I suddenly get competitive. Um, <laughs> it's not a competition until I'm the best. <laughs> well, so far you've been, I mean, we were at almost three hours. Oh yeah. We've been so talking too long. You may be the longest of all of the podcasts possibly, but definitely like, but it just shows that I can have a conversation with a man and we can even disagree. Yeah. And I not get loud or angry or emotional. Um, because I had, I, I had Brian Evans on the show. And if you care to listen to the episode, it's not too far in. Are you on Castbox? Cause I, I feel like I don't see a lot of my friends podcasts cause they're not on the, I think it's Castbox is the one that I use. And I've never heard of that one, but I'll get on it. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple. I'm on, um, I'm on Spotify and Stitcher. Did I say Stitcher twice? I don't remember. I don't know why I have Castbox. On, it's just the one I happen to get. It's also on my actual HelenIsFunny.com and ArtOfComedy.org websites. But um, but yeah, it's I only have like four episodes of each, and I've been in Facebook jail for the last week, so I really haven't been able to promote them. I've never been to Facebook jail. Is it weird? Like you can still it's it's maddening because you can still get on there. You can still see everything. You can people can still comment on your stuff. But you can't respond. Oh, that would drive me nuts. I, I actually, I think really what I, before this happened, I would cycle through like spending too much time on Facebook and then wanting to get, and then needing to detox from how like it magnifies small disagreements into like so fucking boring right now. Day sucking drama. Facebook's so boring right now because nobody has anything to talk about because they're all bored. And it's yeah. getting back to when like the stay at home moms used to, I used to have a lot of stay at home mom uh, friends. I probably still have Facebook friends with them, but I've unfollowed them and weeded them out to where they're like, I did three loads of laundry today. And, you know, just basically recapping their entire boring day on oh, Facebook. Yeah. That's what's happening. And all these fucking trivia things are coming back and, predictive text things and fucking uh would you agree that you can't you can't be with someone romantically that doesn't have a thing like a job something that occupies like the majority of their day a bum well i guess it would be a bum or like or like in my case like i could never i could never like if, if we're having kids go ahead and if one of us wants to stay home and take care of the kids that's a job yeah but the like a person who really like like the 50s housewife thing i don't understand how they don't go insane they did go insane right they did and they got diagnosed with boredom um yeah that's a thing in mad men that they talk about in there with the with the guy's wife and she did have two kids but she had a woman that helped her um i I was a stay-at-home mom i was super religious for like three years and i was gonna homeschool my kids and um, make their clothes and take care of the house and do all that. But my husband could never financially take care of us in a way that allowed me to do it. And, um, but 
when you have children home, yeah, you, it keeps you really fucking busy. But when your kids get older, you can keep busy with them because they have activities and they have, you can volunteer at their school and you can still, but if you don't have children, I do know a woman that's a stay at home wife and they do not have children, but she's a comedian. So she has comedy and stuff that keeps her busy. So yeah, she still has something. Um, But But yeah. Like people do go like, cause I remember um, when I got hired for my first job after college, I, they, they give you like a start date. Right. And it wasn't always like right away when school's over, I had like eight weeks before my start date. Yeah. And luckily like my family had given me some graduation money and I was like, and I got a place with my, you know, I had, I got a place that was reasonable with a friend of mine, you know, getting settled and stuff. And I had something to do for maybe two of the weeks, like move out, you know, move into my place, get settled, you know, and then the next six weeks, I started losing my mind. And I was like, today, I'm going to call Comcast. Like, and that was like my whole fucking day. My whole day. I could, if I wanted to, I could have spent the whole day haggling with Comcast for $5 a month or less. No, my friend works for Cox Communication in Wichita, and she's working from home, and I just stayed with her for two weeks. And there are people that are calling in and they are just chatting with her like old people. Like, and I was like, was that guy just shooting the shit? She's like, yeah, we're supposed to like stop them. But I feel bad. There was a dude who talked to her about his wife dying not too long ago and he's crying and she wanted to cry. And she was like, how can I just tell him transfer him or hang up on him? What am I supposed to do? I I will say this. Like, I, I, like I, I remember working at a gas station, uh, I don't know if I was 16 or 18. I think I was 16. I think it was like my first little job. Like I tried working for a gas station during like Christmas break for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I was like, the, the worst part was that they made me like the outdoor car wash attendant in the middle of winter, which don't do that. Um, but I learned how to make some coffee drinks and some other stuff and like, you know, sweet mop, the usual crap, right? It, it's an awful job. But one of the things I remember the guy, the guy telling me was like, there are people who are going to come in here and they're lonely and they just want to chat you for like three hours and drink their coffee. And you have to resist the urge to be like super friendly with them because they're going to come in here every day and do that to you. Yeah. And I, I just, it gave me like, and and I'm probably one of those people who would do that, except I can't go to Starbucks and sit there. Like I cannot. I, I can work on my computer or something there, but yeah, I, I spent, the last year is a little prepared me for this because like I said, I didn't, I never spent time alone. And then when I left Wichita and I went, I went to Nebraska, I had the job I had was like traveling out and inspecting homes and taking pictures for when they renew their homeowners insurance and stuff. Um, And so I didn't talk, they didn't have to be home. It was just the exterior most of the time. So I didn't interact with people at all. And so, um, and I was doing these cases that were all out in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. So I could spend three days out on the road, not talking to anybody in a real connected way. Um, and then I would get back to wherever I was and just have diarrhea of the mouth on the first person that was friendly enough to talk to me. And sometimes, most of the time it was somebody I knew, um, or a comedian or something. Cause I would come to Omaha and I'd do comedy. Uh, one time it was Nathan Lund who was in town to do a show and happened to be the first person that talked to me when I walked into the back line. And he was sitting there with not a lot to do. 
And so I just sat down next to him and he was just like, so how's it been going? And I was just like, for like way too long. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I just spent, I haven't talked to a human in three days. So no, I feel the same. I feel like lately I, I was like, my work, like the office manager, he's such a, he's a really nice guy and I don't go to the office that much, but I know who he is. And like, cause he plans like the events and stuff. If I go to the office, I don't go in for like working, but I go in for some of the social stuff. And he actually put on the calendar like twice a day, like check-ins with people like he'll, and you know, I was just like, you know what? I actually call in like maybe like once a week and join it because it's just like, it is like mentally refreshing to talk to someone about like, not to do the water cooler conversation. That's why not about a specific thing at work. That's what this podcast is, man. Um, that's what it turned into. It started as an angry joke because um, I had defended a friend online and um, I did call a man a cunt and told him to drop dead. And then he just went off on me in a series of messages that I couldn't even respond to before there were three or four, you know, and I just happened to be in a good mood to where I was laughing it off. And, um, but in the process, he, he basically called me a fat, lonely bitch. And I was like, are you trying to roast me? Because, um, I'm fat. That's a, that's a, that's my body. I'm not trying to agree with that too loudly. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. My body has fat on it. That is a fact of my body. Um, and then I'm lonely right now because my profile picture was with my dog. Who's not lonely right now? Oh yeah. Everybody. And and in in this scenario, in in the context that he's saying it, I am a bitch, um, because I only get called a bitch when I am when my behavior is things that I really love about myself. I love that I get passionate about my friends and that I go mama bear to protect the people I care about. I yeah. love that I get passionate about things that I believe in. I love that about me, and so people that love me love that about me, and so. Um, that's what he's saying when he calls me a bitch. That's what he's calling me. And so for me, it's not a negative thing. I'm like, right. It's just like, it's like one of those things, like, like if somebody calls me a geek or a nerd, I'm like, I own that shit. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm have, perfectly happy that way. I used to make shirts. I'm trying to remember what it was going to say. I used to make shirts in like 2006 that were funny. And it was like, and then, oh, and then I wanted to start, like, I was going to go into IT, uh, and then I, in, like, 2006, and then I realized that the market was going to be flooded with people, and I was going to be in competition with much younger people that could work for less, and did I really, I didn't really love IT enough to fucking do that. I just thought it was something that I could do. I could definitely do it. I could wrap my head around it, and in a way that other people couldn't, and I could speak with IT people and, you know, because it's like a different language. I can speak it. It's, it's got to be like weird for like, like, I feel like maybe not on like, on, you know, on the sales side and the project management side, there's a fair amount of women. Yeah. When it comes to some of the technical roles, there aren't as many. And, it, and it's weird because. Gender didn't really even play a role in my decision to not do it. I just knew that I didn't want to deal with the competition in the, the work was going to, the world was going to be flooded with people with IT degrees. You know, the, the, the other thing with IT is it, it's, it's gotten, I got into a niche where there were still a lot of like individual, like, like I can crash the whole company power and, yeah. you know, and, and like, but I can tell you that like, even my little niche of like, 
where like individual contributors are still really, you know, have a lot of responsibility, it has been reduced quite a bit. And like the things that I still do like on the command line, that people, there are ways to automate it that can replace like, you can't get rid of like, me entirely, but you can get rid of like all the junior engineers. I wanted to do like what Geek Squad does. And it was before Geek Squad or they had just started. I wanted to do that. I wanted to go into people's homes, like real just lay people who think I'm doing voodoo uh, for computer. I, I, you know, you know I, I did and, that and but the, ugh, but the, it's awful. But the, but the the funny shirt that I came up with it started with me thinking of just a, a logos and stuff. You know, I got high and I was thinking of stuff. But it was like a shirt that was like geeks. They're where the money's at. And um, it was just gonna be like a geeky guy with like two hot chicks, which is money just flowing out of his pockets. And um, because then I started thinking about like how to build gates, you know, and 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 and. and you know, these, these really nerdy, just fucking ugly guys. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier. Well, it's money. A lot of it is money, but you do see, you do see a lot of miss what you see as mismatched couples where one is good looking and one is ugly physically. Uh, you know, where you see like an ugly dude with a really hot chick. And a lot of times it's because he's funny or he's nice to her, you know, he's nice to her and he treats her well. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, no, I, I think there's, and there's other times, like, where, like, there are really strange, like, people, sometimes people who are, like, hyper ambitious, especially in, you know, whether in politics or people who are really good salesmen on the business side, like, yeah, maybe they're good looking and maybe they're not, but, like, I can see, like, other hyper ambitious people being really into them in some way. Okay. Like, Elon Musk is not a bad looking guy. Yeah. But his wife is plays a sex robot. His ex wife plays a sex robot on Westworld. Like, like she's in a league of her own. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's one of those things where, like, but on the other hand, he's a hyper ambitious, very driven individual who is charismatic women, in his way. Women put a lot more stock in personality than the average male. I don't want to fucking lump you all together, but just. <sighs> I feel profiled. <laughs> I, and I say this because I have like 30% of that kind of dude in me. Um, it, my, my masculine side of me is a real fucking pig. And so I do my best to keep him at bay because I don't want to just sexualize women. Like my friend Lynette, who's a lesbian, and she is such a dude. Um, she said... I was like, how do you pick up women? I don't know how to pick them up. I, they just think I'm being, that I'm telling them that I like their earrings or something. You know, they think I'm just being a nice woman to them and being like, women empowerment, you know? And she's like, well, first you got to be mean to them. She said, what you do is like, <laughs> basically told me to neg them. She didn't know there was a term for it, but that's what she told me to do. And she said, and then, so you're mean to them, you're mean to them. And then you ignore, ignore, ignore. And then just when they can't take the ignore and they're going to fucking stop talking to you, you fucking flirt, 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 compliment, 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 lay it on thick, lay it on thick. So you love bomb them. Is what you know what's weird you. to that is like, I feel like maybe this, this is probably why I'm ter I've never been a, a dating person. Uh, I've been terrible my whole life at it. And I feel like part of it, and I hate online dating and I really just, and I don't really like in-person dating all that much either. And I think one of my things is that if I'm trying to find someone that I'm going to 
live with (laughs) over a long period of time, then the idea that I will not, that I will start off by not being genuine with them seems a completely alien and counterproductive concept to me. That's what I said to her. I was like, can I be nice to her at some point? And she's like, yeah, but not too nice. I'm like, well, forget it then. I can't, I I don't want to be mean to women. I don't want to knock them down a peg. I want to build them up. I don't want to do that. So if that's what it takes to get a woman, I'm not going to date women. I I can't. You know, my understanding, and I don't know how, uh, maybe this works better for other guys. Sometimes it seems to work is, uh, is, uh, is, is complimenting on, on hair seems to be a winner. Like, and I'm not lying when I say it. I might not have thought that, oh, I have to say something about her hair. But I've learned that, like, saying something nice about her hair is a good, is a good intro because yeah. I think a lot of women work really hard on their hair and they appreciate that getting attention for it. But here's a way to do that while also insulting them. You can say, especially if you've seen them before, before they had their hair done, you can say, oh, my God, I love your hair. It looks so much better than it did. <laughs> Now I'm now I'm not only validating their their recent choice, I'm validating their recent purchase. You're you're validating that, but you're also saying their hair looked like shit before. People love being told that their that their most recent decisions are are, are really good for them. But you gotta, they love validation, but, like yeah. no matter what it is. But there's also things that are like, man, you throw you 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 bowl really good for a woman, you know, shit like that. Um, is bowling one of those sports that like men and women diverge on? Most male, most professional bowlers are men. So that's just. What I, came to I mean, I imagine most bowlers are men. Sport that came to my brain. Um, I don't know why I said bowling. That's just there's better examples, but I'm really high, and that was the only one. But I like dates that are basically just like what we've just done for three hours. Just talk to me. That's all you got to do. And I, but I, I, when it comes to men, put a lot of stock in intelligence and being able to uh, communicate. Uh, and I didn't used to, but now I'm putting a lot more stock in emotional intelligence. Um, you know, I was sure, I was sure as a guy that, that, I, that you were going to have to pee before I was. And now I feel like it's a competition to prove that I'm a guy that I am, that I'm waiting this out. <laughs> you have to pee, Jason, is that what you're saying? It's, I may have to. That's how most of these podcasts end because I also have to pee. Um, but I think we're at the, th- we're at the three hour mark. It might be a no good time to listening. pee. It's a good time to pee, but I did not want to pee because I was just having a good time talking to you. I, I am having a good time. Yeah. I think, I think my voice is getting a little tired, so I may, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a chatterbox. So. For two hours too. So is it four hour. o'clock? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily, this, I had nothing to accomplish today that I didn't already do. I'm going on like hour four of talking. Yeah. All together, but I'm a talker. Um, no one's, no one's called like none of my. I mean, I've been going with like my my family and I have been calling each other more. I've been calling a few friends more. But it's weird, like, not having any, like, I'm like, I'm calling some of my friends and I'm talking to them on Facebook, but we might never get to do anything ever again. And it's, and I'm not sure if I'm wasting my time on these casual acquaintances. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I want to I'm having weird, weird, like, weird internet conversations with people. I think my, I, I definitely like, uh, 
I've definitely like been weird on like my like Reddit accounts. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't do Reddit, but you need to. You seem like a Reddit guy for sure. It's like if there's, became, there's a Reddit for everything. If That's Reddit the th- became a human. I think maybe they'd be you because you're so like not like half knowledgeable of a bunch of things. I know, and I'm good at talking about my ass. But you're not an expert at them, and you're really mm-hmm. good at making it sound like you know what you're talking about, whether you do or not. The things that I lo- that I, I know a lot about me, and I would believe them because it's are so boring. Talk. It's not boring to me. I found it. Interesting. No, I mean, like, like my job, like the things that I like. I'm like I'm an expert at my job, and I one of the things like when I moved to Denver was I'm never talking about work, like unless I'm probably, asked again. I would probably find it interesting that's because I was going to go into that world, but I'm not an expert at it. I don't love it enough to spend the money and do it. But I, I, when I was, I I was an accountant, one more story and then we have to pee. I was an accountant um, and we went through a um, software change, right? And the accounting team was trying to explain the problems they had with the IT team and the IT team was trying to, you know, they couldn't communicate because they didn't speak both languages, but I did. So I was like the account, the accounting, the the controller just started sending me to the IT meetings that were about the accounting. And so um, I just became kind of like the interpreter for accounting between accounting and IT because I could go to IT and explain to them in a way they'd understand the bugs we needed fixed, the problems, and they could explain it. I could go explain it to accounting, their solution for it. And so, uh, so I can speak both languages. And I, so- I think being an IT part of it, I think that's kind of, I think it mellowed me a little bit yeah. in, in terms of like, I, I don't think my political views have really changed that much since I, since I was in my twenties, but my tolerance for bad parts about the current system increased because I recognized I was like, it's like, you know, we, people who assign maliciousness to just a system that all systems are flawed. All systems are going to fuck things up. All systems are going to have loops and they're all breaking too. You know, they're working and they're breaking down at the same time. And I'm just like, I just have so much more tolerance for like, I can't get behind like the idea of like the system is deliberately evil. I'm like, no, it's mostly just everybody trying to get to Friday afternoon. Yeah. And if you made, and if you found a way to make a better world that still got all these people to Friday afternoon, they would do that too. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. So I think we can end it there and then I'm going to hit you up and come pet your dog. And cool. Yeah. We can talk more while I pet your dog. Uh, yeah, and it won't be being recorded, though no one is going to listen to this. Sweet. Who wants to listen to the two of us talk for three fucking hours? You you think I'm going to listen to it? No, I'm not listening to this. I don't even think you're going to edit this. No, I don't edit Fat Lonely <laughs> Bitch. I don't edit Fat Lonely <laughs> Bitch. I'm sorry. I meant to tell you that. I try to warn people, so just whatever you say, no, it's getting put out there. I don't, I'm not, re- I'm not going to go listen to this. No, if anybody was listening, they've given up by now, so... Um, you know what? That's the thing. It's like all these things are just going to get used by like a computer is going to come through and analyze it and transcript it. And then they're just going to use it against us. For, but what we'll know, even though it's, it's public and yet private because no one, no human will ever listen. It's weird. The thing, though, if I do get to my goal of being famous with famous people and I get to be a Doug Stanhope level of just notoriety within a comedy scene, maybe not for stand up, but for my nonprofit or whatever, 
there will be people that want to go back and listening to these back in when I was nobody and learn from them so they can learn how to become somebody. You're making somebody's PhD thesis yeah. right now. Whatever. I feel like <laughs> I'm putting it out into the universe, man. And if people can find a use for it, then great. But it's used right. to me, like having these conversations. Why do I need to record them and put them on there? Because most people aren't. If I had just said to you, hey, Jason, do you want to just do a Zoom call with me and talk to me for three fucking hours for no reason? Would you have done a Zoom call with me and talked to me for three hours? I probably would have been like, why don't you just call me on my free phone? If it wasn't a podcast, though, would you have, would you have talked? No, I'm really excited to get a podcast because I'm being included. And so like, like, I, yes. I don't, I don't know why, but I'm fulfilling a need. there's a lot of shittier comedians than me that have gotten way more podcast invites. than I get. Yes. Well, oh, one more point before we pee. Brian Evans, you should listen to that, at least the first part of it, because you'll see how, what happens when I try to talk conspiracy theories with somebody that interrupts me um when i'm trying to give my point because and then i didn't have it on the recording because i stopped the recording um because we started to talk about some stuff i we didn't want recorded and so um nothing dirty but you know what i mean just starting to name talking about a situation and naming some people we just didn't want to put out on a podcast. what you can record is me refilling the coffee pot in about two okay. seconds whether we stop so, or not so he uh i can't hear you with the water hang on i'm almost done so, but I got, he's like, yeah, you can't get so emotional when you're talking about conspiracy theories. And I had a perfectly good conversation with you about conspiracy theories and political things and all sorts of stuff that we don't hundred percent agree on. And I did not get emotional, but you also did not interrupt me. You let me say my thing. Then you said your thing. That has been not interrupting people, especially women on these conference calls, because I live on these stupid conference calls. Yeah. Has, has been a thing that I've deliberately tried to cultivate. Yes. Because A, there is a delay. And B, I know that like, it's a thing with women and getting interrupted. And it's a thing that men do. And it's a habit thing. It's a cultural thing that I've tried to consciously avoid doing. There and sometimes it's really hard. That, there are men that get upset when you interrupt them. Oh, I know. Uh, real upset. Jeff Cohen does not like it when we, we get interrupted, when I interrupt. And I do it a lot. And I don't mean to. So I'm aware of it when I do it to him. I don't want to cut him off. And he's not legitimate. He's not like getting upset unlegitimately. You know what I mean? He's legitimately getting cut off by everybody talks over him. It's going to so, be awful being in, so, being in space. Like being, uh, when people actually start like living on the moon and shit and they got to deal with that, like that time delay where that you can almost have a conversation, but it's, it's 300,000 kilometers. Okay. So it's, it's a, a one second delay. People are legit gonna each be way. living on the moon. Yeah, people are gonna people are gonna live on the moon okay. reasonably soon. We definitely can, but talk not very that. comfortably. We can talk about that when I pet your dog. Okay. Okay, I have to pee. But it's a one second delay each way, and it would suck. That's a good place Anyways, to stop. Have a good one. All right, I'll talk to you. <laughs> All later. right, bye. Bye.